What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Clocks on the Stove. Your host, Grayson Fisher. Our co-host today, Mr. Zach Watts. And someone we've been anticipating to get on for a long time. I've been telling everyone we have a very big guest coming on. Finally, we're able to fit his busy schedule with ours. we got Elijah Higgins with the Stanford wide receiver. I'm going to give a little background on Elijah real quick. So he attended, uh, if I say this incorrectly, let me know, Bowie High School in Texas. Oh, uh, yeah, Bowie. Bowie. Bowie, Bowie High School in Texas. Um, he was a four-star wide receiver. According to 24-7 Sports, he was the number 14 player in the state of Texas in 2019, number 14 receiver in the country in 2019. Uh, basically, any scholarship you could think of from a school, he had it. He committed and signed to Stanford. His younger brother, Caleb, is playing a cow right now, a little school rivalry between the brothers. Then we got – he's a psychology major, and so far in his Stanford career, well, within the two seasons he's played, he's got 59 receptions with 678 yards, 11.5 yards per average with four touchdowns. Player of the game against Oregon this year at the time, they were ranked number three in the upset with the game-tying touchdown to send them into overtime. I think I saw you on every sports page I follow on Instagram that day. And uh, just announced recently he's returning for a senior season. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Elijah Higgins. What's going on? What's going on? Happy to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, I got much to say. It's a good introduction. Uh, we can get right into it. Yeah, man. So uh, first thing, uh, your, your father's a military man. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, so you hopped around uh, quite a lot in high, growing up. I know in high school, your mom said you stayed all four years at, at Bowie. But what about at the time before that? Um, yeah, so I was born in Tampa, Florida. Um, my dad was stationed out there, um, kind of going overseas every once in a while. Moved to Ohio for about two years when I was super young. Um, my brother was born there. Um, we moved back to Florida. Bounced to Texas around like middle school time. Um, finished middle school through high school there. Um, now I'm in California. So we bounced, out, bounced around quite a bit, living in a lot of different places, a lot of different areas within the States. Went to a lot of different schools. Um, had to get used to like flipping and flopping through friendships and making new friends and meeting new people um, throughout my whole life. So that's a, that's a little taste of this, the kind of dynamic that I'm from and um, being a military dependent uh, family and everything like that. So for sure. And I'm assuming, uh, like I said, my family, my father's not military, but I'm assuming that really helped you football wise too. you know, probably learning some of that like discipline and commitment and hard work and stuff through your father and, and everything he did. Uh, when I was speaking to your mom, she actually told me that he was on, he walked on to the first ever USF football team in 99, 2000. After he served, uh, I believe it was the Marines or in the military before that, which is shows that the athletic trait is definitely running through your family. Uh, let's talk about Stanford, man. So, uh, actually, before we get to Stanford High School, highly recruited. Um, obviously, you had tremendous grades as well because I was looking. You had offers from almost all the Ivy League schools. Uh, congratulations on that. Um, what What was it about Stanford? You know, you're coming from Texas and you had any, every school on your plate what was it about Stanford that that drew your eye when you were about 17 18 years old yeah I mean obviously Stanford being Stanford um one of the top private public schools in the in the country and that sort um definitely a prestigious university that was kind of stood out than anything else um but through the process I guess as I got scholarships and as I got media attention and that sort of thing in the recruiting world. And obviously going to school in Texas and going to playing on a high school team there, Texas is pretty big in high school, in high school football. 
Um, and just the atmosphere that I was surrounded by, everything was kind of catered to football, relationships that I had, conversations that I had with people. Um, a lot of it was catered towards football. Um, and as a 17, 18 year old, a lot of people I feel like that are in that position kind of thrive and they like that kind of stuff. They like the attention and that sort of stuff. Um, but for me, I kind of saw through what was really going on and that kind of thing, especially um, being as ranked as high and, and then having that sort of thing that I had going for me um, just drew a lot of people that probably wouldn't have been in my life or probably wouldn't have wanted to be my friend or that sort of thing. Um, so I kind of saw through that and I wanted to get away from being put on a pedestal, I guess. Um, so that was definitely something that was battling in my head, whether I wanted to be on that pedestal when I went to a university or whether, or I wanted to be kind of more, um, at a level playing field with the rest of the students, regardless if they were student athletes or not. Um, so at the end of, at the end of the whole recruiting process, I kind of made that decision in my mind of, okay, this is why I want to do a fresh start at Stanford, um, where they don't have a hundred thousand fans at the game, um, where you can walk around campus and people have no idea that who you are. The only reason they know you play football is because you're six foot three or you're big or you have muscles or, you know what I'm saying? So I think a part, a lot, a lot of it was more than anything coming to a place where I could find myself, create who I wanted to be, create my own identity, um, and have a separate life, um, separable from football and be able to do things without that influencing who I was off the field. So, yeah. Was there any other schools, um, during your recru recruiting process that like you felt drawn to at first, but then like, as you developed this idea of kind of wanting to like blend in and just be able to remain yourself, was there any other schools that kind of like caught your eye at the time? Um, are you saying that that were similar to Stanford in that way? Or, or the opposite of what you're saying? Could be both. Like, just any schools, like, you felt, like, could have taken you away from Stanford or that you gotcha, thought, gotcha. like, might be better fits at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, obviously, like, like I said, as a 17, 16, 17, 18-year-old, you're, especially now this day and age, I mean, the social media, you like people, like, love attention, they love likes, they love follows, all that kind of thing. Um, and that came along with the recruiting process. Um you got, I got a lot of attention, like I said, media attention, um, social attention, that sort of thing. So obviously like schools, like I'm from Austin. So University of Texas was one of those schools that was like, if I would, would have gone there, I would have been around the same amount of people that I am in high school for one and for two. Um, you walk around Texas and you're like praised as like almost Jesus, basically. Like every single football player is just praised to the point where like they can do whatever they want to an extent, obviously. Um, it, it, I don't know. I don't know how really how to explain it as, as well as I am right now, but other, every other university in the country is similar to that. I mean, Ohio State, I was considering. Um, university of Florida, I was considering. And I felt that type of attention, especially when I went to the University of Florida. I took a visit there and like random people knew my name and I was a high schooler from like a thousand miles away from the state of Florida. So it, it, it can draw a lot of people in and it can it can bait a lot of people into going to those schools, but it's definitely something that I considered and I weighed out the, the benefits and drawbacks of that type of environment. Um, and I and I made a decision that Stanford would have been best for my personal interest in that in becoming who I want to become. Um, obviously, it's not always fun when you go have the best game of your life and maybe five to 10 percent of the student body actually knows like what you did um 
but at the end of the day, like the outside praise is never really what should like drive drive you or fuel an individual. Um, and that's sort of the, the reason I came here is because I didn't, I wanted to find something else that fueled me and and drove me as much as a place like Stanford does just because you're surrounded by incredible people who are doing their own things, who have already done things in high school that are bigger than things that some adults have already done. A majority of adults have already done in their lives, honestly. Um, so yeah, just being around people that are just exceptional, exceptional in the fields that they, um, do business in that they do work in and are more exceptional than you are in your own field. So um, I feel like that's, that's sort of why I came to Stanford and how I made that decision of, of making a difference between the two the other schools that I was considering. Yeah. What, what you're saying though, is like, it's, an, it's kind of insane because it's like the exact opposite of what every other kid in the country is thinking of, you know, like, and uh, what I was trying to say earlier, referring to the Texas is like, I feel like their whole thing is the media. Like they, they hype up, like, we're America's team. Like they try to like ride that everyone loves Texas and their fan base and the amount of people they get going to their games. So like, that's kind of crazy that you wanted the other route. And it was kind of like you, you were looking for a school that wanted you for Elijah Higgins, the person, not Elijah Higgins, the football player. And I feel like in, in today's generation of, of high school football players, that doesn't happen ever. You know, you're, mm-hmm. seeing, you're seeing kids go where they can get the most followers, where who has the, the nicest jerseys or, you know, kind of the opposite of what you were saying, which is, really crazy that you were you were that mature at that at such a young age because you know a lot of people get quote unquote lost in the sauce there so it's that was that's very uh mature and it's definitely more challenging now like if I were to put myself in the same position I was three years ago today it's a whole different conversation because now money is involved so I think that's definitely the conversation we can have when we talk about NIL um but yeah, it's just a whole different dynamic now that the game has changed. Now it's legal to pay athletes, not that it hasn't already been going on for years past. Um, but yeah, that's definitely another um, addition to the to the decision that would have been made if I was making that decision today as a 17, 18 year old. Now, so, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so like now, um, I guess thinking about it, would you rather play in like the current era you are now, or do you kind of wish you would have came later on where like these NILs were prevalent or would you rather even earlier where like, this wasn't even like a thought back in the day or like, obviously like kids were getting yeah. paid, but just not publicly. Yeah, that's a tough, that's tough. I, I don't, I never really thought about that, honestly, um, until now, like I'm actually pondering on, okay, would I do that or this? Um, that's tough. Uh, I mean, obviously, like the the resources and money situation was kind of already a factor then when I was in high school. Like, if I would have went to a different school, like probably would getting be getting a larger stipend than I am right now. Um, probably would be getting being able to go to a restaurant and get free food whenever I wanted to. Um, just things like that. Like it, it was kind of already incorporated when I was in high school, but now obviously it's a little bit more dramatic. Um, yeah, it's a tough question. I think, I think honestly though, if I was in that position now and I was the same level of recruit or if not better, I probably would have been went to a school where there is maybe a little more media attention and that can track track in um, like revenue and money and stuff like that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really a business decision. That's what I made was a business decision. Um, it's just a different decision now that everything else was incorporated into it. Yes. Yeah, so staying on the topic of the NIL, like what, 
it's kind of insane. That's like you're seeing guys like Travis Hunter going to Jackson State and uh, the other kid that committed yesterday. He was, a, I believe, another five-star, not a four-star. He went to Jackson State uh, before the All-American game as well. It's like it's crazy now because, like, it used to be, like, you go to school for legacy as yourself. You went to school for academics and to be who you wanted to be. I feel like that's becoming less and less of a thing, which part of me as a college football fan was, like, super excited about the NIL because, like, I've always been saying, like, you guys need to get what, what you deserve, you know, like, Tim Te- the amount of Tim Tebow jerseys that were sold was absurd, and he made no money that we know of off of it and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like one reason why I love college football, and I love the NFL also, but I'm obviously a college football guy. That's my thing is, is the, the, the playing for the legacy and playing for, like, the, the tradition and the rivalries and stuff like that. And I feel like with this new NIL deal, we're kind of moving away from that a little, you know, and we're starting to go more of like a semi-pro version of and the NFL rather than a collegiate level, if that makes sense. And, uh, and I don't know, because, like, uh, go on a little rant real quick. I wrote a paper in high school about how I thought college football players should be paid, and I, I didn't think that they should have been paid in the aspect in which they're getting paid today. Um, I thought more of, like, every – uh, excuse me, college players, they should be getting, like, larger stipends that are able to help, like, pay for a kid's apartment, give them amount of food. Maybe if they want to go on a date or go see a movie, like they have a little bit of extra. They should also be getting a percentage of their likeness. I did not think we'd go from zero to – barstool million dollar deals within what a couple weeks like that was absurd what 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 do you think about this going on right now with all the nil like the crazy deals like caleb Williams getting offered a million dollars to go to eastern michigan you know like crazy yeah well first I'll, first thing i'm gonna say is the players that are making the money that they are now legally are getting what they deserve more than anything if not getting less of what they deserve um this this whole topic is has a lot of different directions that we can get into and I feel like that's definitely something that I want to do um so I'm going to try to go on a little mini rant kind of um but so so my my perception so we can backtrack like a year and a half two years ago first off and I'll give you some background about my knowledge and all of this um but about two year and a half ago when corona originally started is 2020 beginning of 2020 March 2020, yeah. Yeah. So all basically all college athletes got sent home. This from my personal experience at Stanford, we got sent home. Um, we were training at home, all this kind of stuff. Nobody really knew the corona situation. Um, people were like at the beginning of it, obviously they were like, college football is still gonna happen. Um, it's not a big deal, no one worry. First off, for that to be like a discussion of like a large discussion within our society is is, is crazy. Like there's a pandemic, a global pandemic going on. And like a lot of people's concern is college football. So that, that's for one. Um, but second off, as a coronavirus, every, everything happened, unfolded over the few months. We got sent, we came back, started training, all these crazy protocols, yada, 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 to keep us safe. Um, uh, we're living in a hotel, like all this kind of stuff, just, just to kind of keep coronavirus out of the, the, the team and that kind of thing. Um, I think we were the only sport team on campus at that time but while we were there a buddy of mine a teammate um, reached out to me and was talking about how there was this group of guys that was meeting um, like weekly daily um, that was made up of like two players from every Pac-12 team so we got on a zoom call and we talked about what was going on at the schools um, this whole situation's jacked up, yada, yada, yada. People are getting corona. Our protocols aren't really protocols. They really don't care. There's a big pandemic going on. Why are we getting sent back to play football? 
Um, so we had these conversations and after like two weeks, um, we got a, we got a guy named, his name is Ramogi. Uh, I think his last name is Huma. That's how you pronounce it. I'm pretty sure. Um, but basically he was somebody who, um, over the course of since like 2003, I want to say, or sometime around then, um, he advocated in, in front of a jury, in front of a judge to get college players stipends. So essentially like we're having this conversation amongst the Pac-12 players um, with the dude that actually is like the head dude of organizing and advocating for players' rights, workers' compensation rights, all these types of things. So it was super legit. Like we were having super legit conversations. People were making graphics. We were making all these types of things. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but before the season started, there was a big thing that was on Twitter going on. It was called We Are United. And it was basically what we did was we constructed um, this, this thing to put out in media. It was a list of, list of demands. And it was like workers' rights, compensation, yada, yada, yada. And it was the most extreme numbers that you could say. We want 50% of the revenue that we generate amongst the players. Just the most insane thing. It was fair market value to begin with. Everything that was on that list was completely fair. It was completely calculated with the numbers Ramogi has, all the numbers that the revenue numbers, everything that's generated from um, being able to pay for other sports, um, being able to pay for everything was accounted for. All the all the arguments that people make was accounted for in the numbers that are public to our public numbers and statistics. Now, real quick, is this like you guys as in like the NCAA or you guys as in Stanford athletes? So there's two two athletes from each Pac-12 football team. And we were we were getting in this call and basically coming up with this list of demands. Okay. Right? We released a list of demands. Um, there's a lot of backlash, obviously, because of how extreme the things were. Um, backlash from other football players at other schools saying they don't want this, yada, yada, yada. Basically, we were saying we're going to unite and sit out until these demands are met. Um, fast forward a few weeks, we sit down with Pac-12 Commissioner um, on a Zoom call, talk about all the kind of stuff. A few weeks later, we get on a call with, like, um, with uh, – I'm blanking on his name. What's the, what's the dude from Clemson? The, the quarterback? Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Um, Najee Harris. Like, all the big-time dudes. And we and we come to some some type of agreement of, upon the list that we wanted to do. Was this um, this was when they were last year, right? When they were in college still? Mm -hmm. Like 2020, going into the 2020 season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Going into 2020. So, basically, what we did, it, it was a very strategic way of us getting more traction um so we got these big time guys across the nation came up with a new list of demands basically saying like we want fair COVID protocols yada 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 um nothing about nothing about revenue at that point just so that it could be um digested by all college football basically so that happens um season goes on a few months later nil's passed the amount of pressure, oh, not to mention Donald Trump retweeted the graphic that we made saying that we want football after we had made the graphic with Trevor Lawrence and all of them advocating for like, okay, we want to play now, yada, yada, yada. We're not going to sit out unless COVID, yada, yada, yada. Um, so Donald Trump retweeted it. It was like a big thing in college football for like a few weeks to a month. Um, like I said, season was played and then NIO get, gets passed. So we sort of had like, a push to NCAA and whoever is in charge of making those type of policies and stuff. Um, all that to say though, like my opinion is super strong on it because I've seen firsthand 
the actual research that goes in behind it, um, the revenue that's made, where the money is spent, um, buying luxurious locker rooms, um, top of the line uh, athletic facilities. Um, they like to say like a lot of universities and programs like to say like they break even when they pay these things, but it's not made into consideration like what's actually being paid for. Um, so basically they're just cycling in the money to like build bigger brands and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, NIL is just like, it's like, I think it's a thing of like, okay, we're satisfying a very small majority or a very small percentage of the players that are already benefiting illegally without getting in trouble. Basically um, we're going to give um, these kids rights now so they can make the money that they should have already been making off their name, image, and likeness so that there can be less, um, less push against us and more praise to the NCAA, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think, I think NIL should not even be, that should not even be an argue, argument at the end of the day. I think like if you can't go on YouTube and make podcast podcast, or you can't go on Instagram and do your own thing completely separate from the university, because that's the NIL rules anyways, is you can't include like, I can't wear a Stanford shirt and get on a commercial. Like it has to be solely Elijah Higgins, solely your name, whoever you are. So just the fact that that was even like a conversation and argument is kind of absurd. Um, I think now it's definitely accepted, obviously, but there's still drawback and like, oh, it's going to mess up college football, that sort of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, like these are 18, 19, 20 year old kids who a lot of them don't come from don't come from money to begin with um, and are, are put in these systems where it's just like, OK, all your resources, all your time, all your energy is going to be allocated to football and nothing else you don't have time to study we don't we don't care if school is not going to be prioritized nothing else you're going to make sure you you pass we're going to give you the tutors make sure they do the work for you sometimes or if you can't do your work we're going to make sure you pass so that you can get on the field and play it's cool if you pass it's cool if you get a's it's cool if you actually learn something it's cool if you actually um acquire some some working skills for whenever your football career is over for 98% of the students, athletes actually play football. They're all not going to play football after they're not going to make any money off of this. Um, so for the 2% athletes that are actually making money off of this, well, they're all, they're also going to make money whenever they go to the NFL. So at the end of the day, like NIO, like I said, shouldn't have even been like an argument to begin with, I think. Um, but yeah, we can definitely talk more about that. And I think I'll touch more on that as I discuss what it's like to be a student athlete. I wasn't um, sure that I, I, I hope I didn't come off in the wrong direction. I wasn't. Oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. No, 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 no. It's not. I was a it's nothing. I was when I was initially thinking of how to pay players, this wasn't the, the route I was thinking of. Yeah, no, it's, it, bro, it's definitely like. So the whole players compensation thing is, is super, super. Uh, how do you say it? it's it's very complicated super complicated because if you if you pay players how, how are you going to do it are you going to give them a percentage of the revenue that is generated are you going to give it to the same amount of money to the second string players are you going to are you going to operate how the nfl does with free agency and, and contracts I think another hard one is where's the money coming from because yeah you're you're at stanford which is a pack like 
Pac-12, Power 5, like, you all are fine. You can pay your players. What if you go to, like, a Mac school or a Sunbelt school? They're not revenating the same amount of money. Like That was another thing that I was always – that was, like, when I was saying – how I made my plan, that was something I brought into account, you know, because mm-hmm. regardless, like, yes, you, you've done a, an amazing job in playing power five football and you're an exceptional athlete for that, but you, we shouldn't not benefit a division one player at a smaller school just because he's not as good as you, you know, he's still a division one athlete. I mean, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's how business operates at the end yeah. of the day. So it's like the best of the best are going to make the money. And that's how, that's how it operated before. And that's how it operated before players were compensated because players were still getting paid under the table um players were still getting paid to come to the school so at the end of the day that's that's essentially how a business works i mean to make that argument would be like okay we're just gonna give everybody the same amount of money which is which really doesn't make much sense um but yeah i I know i know what you're saying there's there's an argument to be made about sort of in that direction um but yeah it's like i said it's super complicated because it, it there's a lot of stuff that goes on within um, the universities and where the money goes and all that sort of thing. So it's definitely like it's not a sensitive, but a definitely confusing topic that a lot of people fail to actually have a legitimate and like reciprocated conversation about. Um, but yeah. like how you said that they weren't, it, it felt like from your aspect as a, as a player in the NCAA, it felt more like the NCAA was doing it to be like, get, get you guys off of our back and be like, Oh, look, look what we're doing. We're great. Rather than actually like, being good people because I remember uh, I don't know if you recall but like right before the NIL was dropped there was like a congressman or like some very high up politician that said like he looked over what the NCAA does for you guys and it was like borderline slavery or it was like mm-hmm. uh, it was borderline worse than minimum wage it was Probably, uh, might, have been Corey, might have been Cory Booker yeah I, I can't I can't give you exact I don't remember but it was something along those lines if you remember that yeah, yeah. it's kind of like very NCAA of them to just right after like Oh yeah, look what we did! Look, look, praise us, you know. So I, I, I like how you brought that up, and no one yeah. talked about it from that perspective. You know what I mean? That was something I never thought of. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. also yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, it's also weird how, um, or not weird, but kind of funny how you brought up. It's kind of like insensitive in a way, but it's not anymore. And like, it's kind of weird to think about because we had players like Reggie Bush who really had his Heisman revoked just because he was getting paid under the table. But then now, like, they're finally getting paid what they deserve. And suddenly, Reggie Bush is no longer seen as, like, the villain as he was once painted as. Like, we look at these athletes that got paid under the table for so long, which, rightfully, they deserved it. Like, they deserved the money they were getting. These people were literally putting schools on the map, like, putting, like, raising college football to levels that, like, we had never seen as compared to, like, pro sports. But, I mean, now that athletes are finally getting what they deserve, we start to see, like, these images we once put on these athletes kind of get taken back and we really get to appreciate what they did for their sports. Now, I think it's kind of like a move in the right direction, but we also see like kind of the dangers when money's involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that's happened previously. There's a lot that's going to happen in the future in that. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I and mean, we can, we can discuss the details of like what it is to be a student athlete and that kind of thing and how it is. And that'll give more insight to how other players at other schools probably operate and that sort of thing too. Um, I was about to say something, but I think I forgot. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback off Zach while you're, while you're thinking about that then. Yep. Um, so I have two things that I really want to talk about when it comes to this NIL thing is the first um I'll just say both and then you can answer them whatever order you want. The first thing I have is uh, I like the NIL a lot, but I do it's, it's, 
almost you can't deny the fact that some schools are offering better NIL deals, which is what they wanted to like avoid. So it's becoming a recruitment factor as we see with the, we just said the Travis Hunter, it's happening all over the, the country. And, and I don't know, I want to know what your opinions are as that being a recruiting factor now for school versus school rather than, Oh, it doesn't matter if I go to Ohio state or I go to Georgia, I'm still going to get this, this sponsor, you know? And my, yeah, I like that on my second one. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this kind of goes back to the question of like, okay, what would I do if I was in that position? Um, but I think like offering the NIL and, and now how that's tied into recruiting, I feel like the value of what the school had to offer before is similar value of what it is now offering with NIL deals. Um, the, the NIL deals are, like I said, like the money was already being handed underneath the table for the most part for these like big time recruits. So that was already a factor. Um, now that the NIL deal is a little more um, respected, legal, might make a little more money doing it now that it's legal and that sort of nature. Um, I feel like the value is, is still the same across the schools. Like if a kid, like let's say three years ago before NIL, if a kid was um, making a decision, let's say he was the number five recruit in the country or the number one recruit in the country. And he's making a decision between Alabama and Texas Tech. And he was the best, the best in the nation at what he did in football. Probably gonna go to Alabama. Just just because, like, I mean, unless there was some crazy reason that he wanted to go to Texas Tech, probably gonna go to Alabama. The value does not, I don't think the value has really changed of within recruiting. Maybe it's a little more public now, like what's actually going on. Um, but for the most part, I feel like the schools that were on top are going to continue to stay on top. And that's just how it's going to, how it's going to go. Well, so what I wanted to talk about, cause I, I blanked out, but now I remember is, um, with that aspect, it's like, all right, so I, I'm a, I'm a mixed martial artist. And one thing that is always preached by everyone in the MMA world is it's not just how good you are. It's also how well you can market yourself, you know, and you see guys like Conor McGregor and you see guys like Colby Covington, who or Patty the Batty, Sugar Sean, guys that have a uniqueness to them that talk a lot of smack, they sometimes uh, get, to, get to the fights they want faster than other people do to that factor, you know? And my question for you is, do you think that now we're going to start seeing, not across the board, but maybe a couple cases of kids that are a little not as good but have a bigger following getting these scholarships and getting these deals because of the NIL money and the attention they can bring to the school? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, recruiting comes down to, I mean, coaches want the best players, like the best skill. That's it. They want to win. So I feel like some some programs can be bought into the facade that a player might like, a high school player might like, rep, like present himself as. But for the most part, like the coaches are recruiting off of um, what they predict the kids – um, abilities are or what the kids skill level is like regardless of following and all that kind of stuff that's what coaches look for a skill and what they can do for the program if they can help the program win um, now for NIL NIL is solely based on your social media traffic I could be I could be the worst player in the country and I could have 150,000 followers on Instagram my name image likeness is still 150,000 followers on Instagram and I'm still going to do NIL regardless of how good I am as an athlete. I might not be, I might not be in commercial saying like, 
or throwing the football or something like that, but I'm still going to be able to use my name, name, image, and likeness. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, if that's what you're exactly asking or. No, no. Yeah, it does. But like, in like a prime example of what you just said, is I keep referring to it and I hate it, but it's the Travis Hunter thing. Like, dude, he could have went to D3 football. Barstool is still going to throw him the bag because mm-hmm. he is how good he is, you know? Yeah. So that, that's definitely something that we're starting to see more, but you do, it does, it, what you're saying does make sense in the recruitment aspect. Like, yeah, it's cool to like get a Trevor Lawrence, but at the end of the day, like, if you're not going to win a school championship, like they always talk about they're in it to make you better young men. And they are for the most part, but they want to win more than anything else. You know, a coach wants to keep his job. They want to win championships. Like that, that's the number one thing. And- yeah. And at, and at the end of the day, bro, like the reason that in the college world, recruiting is such a big thing is because recruiting good players results in having a good team. Like, I know a lot of programs love to like praise themselves and, and they, they take a lot of pride in, oh, we develop players. I mean, like if you're a college, if you have a college football program, like that should be your, what you're supposed to do is develop players. Like, okay, we get that. But they put a lot more, they, 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 they put a lot more weight on them developing players for the reason that they're winning rather than actually recruiting being the reason that they're winning, getting skilled players, with God-given abilities, that, that's basically what it comes down to is God-given ability and, okay, now how are you going to shape this player into being a little bit better than um, his natural abilities already allow him to be? Um, so for the most part, bro, like recruit, I think recruiting is like the most important thing in, fo- in college football. And that's why it's so like tracked, especially in high school and like tracked through high school, through college, is because like players that are good are, for the most part, are because – they have natural abilities or they were raised in an environment where, okay, all they did was play football or all they did was play outside or all they did, you know what I'm saying? Like where football is what they do and, and it's kind of in their blood too. So that's where recruiting comes in. And that's why recruiting is such a big deal. And that's why NIL is such a big deal is because every college football team, every college head coach, they want the best player. They want the best player. And, and that's what, it, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and that you hear about it all the time too. Like why, like guys like Matt Rule or guys like um, Urban Meyer, they don't want to go back to college because they don't want they they specific they said it they don't want to recruit. Like there's like recruiting is such a headache. You know, having to go sit down in a in a kid's house, eat with dinner with their family, and then fly out across the country go see another kid. You know, like the competition aspect of it versus in the NFL. Like for the most part, you get who you want. You know, if you have the money and everything works out, you kind of get you, you you either get what you want or you get a guy that's pretty damn near close because he's in the NFL. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you see, like that aspect of, of success in, in NFL, like you don't get it with Saban because Saban's so good at recruiting, but it's a lot harder to, to coach guys in, in the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like someone that uh, I'm, we're good family friends with is, is Greg Schiano. And I think his mindset in college is beautiful because he's a great recruiter and he's a good like teacher. But I feel like when he went to the NFL, it was a little bit harder because he was coaching grown men and not kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, I do get what you're saying. And I feel like uh, if we're going to talk about it, like in recent terms, look at Ed Orgeron. Like, I feel like a lot of people are overlooking him. I don't even know about overlooking, but they're not. I thought when he got fired, he'd get a job instantly because of the national championship team and what he's done. But everyone's talking about, well, he just recruited everyone. He wasn't that good of a coach. And it's, I don't really know what to think about that. Cause I haven't seen him long enough to see both sides, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I think, obviously getting the best skilled players on our team is, is the most important thing. And then cultivating a culture with, for those players to get better, develop, 
comfortable, be confident. Um, there's a lot of things that play into it. And I feel like if you get a lot of good players at a school where 100,000 fans are are praising them and giving the confidence and, and allowing them to play to their like best ability, then you're going to have a good team. If you have a good culture and you get good players, like you're going to have a good team. Um, you're going to make money for the university. And now the kids are going to benefit off that money that they're making. They're going to benefit off the attention. So like, it's kind of like a, a positive feedback loop and like, it's just going to continue to grow upon itself because of what it's doing and how it's, and how it's moving. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the next few years of recruiting plays out with the NIL. Cause it's going to answer a lot of these questions for us. Um, these are like, what we're, what we're given is all opinions and what we think NIL is going to do and how it's going to affect. But at the end of the day, we just have to wait it out and see. So, um, it's kind of interesting now how you're kind of like the first wave of like student athletes to be introduced through like NIL deals and stuff like that. So like as the years go on, like once you go on to the pros or once the players start leaving, like, are you still going to be able to represent those players and fight for the rights, especially as you have done so far for these NIL deals? Like, do you think you're still going to be a part of that or do you risk losing that once you move on and make it to the higher levels? So there's definitely like, I think being an uh, like being an athlete in college right now, a student athlete is definitely the reason I was be able, I was able to be in those conversations. But I definitely think there's ways to 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 help the cause without actually being um, without directly being a part of it or directly trying to influence it. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be a little more difficult, but I think. There's there's definitely ways that you can affect the things that you want to see change and doing the things that I'm going to do in 20 years and 15 years, whatever, whatever that is. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely ways to help um, help the cause. But I mean, we're I think we're meeting with I'm meeting with the same guys that we were gathering together across the Pac-12 um, and we're, we're meeting with like EA Sports in a few weeks, I think, to like discuss um the whole nil thing and and how it's going to play out with with the new video game so i think i'm still going to be we're going to be involved to some extent but it's definitely going to be a little bit different just because um we're going to be graduating and out of college and not playing football maybe or yada 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 so i think it is important to have that conversation with those guys to be like okay do we want to recruit somebody else a younger guy and and help keep this thing going um or do we just want to take it upon ourselves as we go into like adult lives and that sort of thing so uh i think i think more than anything it's going to be like getting guys in younger dudes and just passing the torch on and that sort of thing how excited were you though when you heard that you're gonna meet with ea begin the video game that's dope i mean it was something we i mean like i said we the whole, the whole, how the whole thing unfolded originally in the, in like three months was we met, it was super informal. It got a little more formal when we were introduced with Ramogi, the dude who worked with everything. It got a little more formal when we made the actual like graphic, it got a little more formal when we were trending on Twitter. It got a little more formal when um, we got on a call with Trevor Lawrence and Najee Harris. It got a little more formal when Donald Trump um retweeted our graphic it got a little more formal when we met with the pac-12 commissioner it got a little more formal when um nio was in, introduced um so it's not really surprising i would say that this is happening because like 
everything that's like I mean the craziest thing that you can imagine happened happened I mean they've just made a movie about everything that we did um I forgot the name of the movie but uh, I can tell you right like with like with Clemson yeah, yeah yeah something like that yeah so they made a movie about it. it's basically the same thing that we were doing um and oh also like in the midst of all of this like my guy my teammate that recruited me into this whole zoom thing um and meeting with the pac-12 guys and stuff was on cnn like was on cnn and like did an interview on cnn so like we got kind of into the political world too and we saw how like how politics is all integrated into all of this and and it made like the things that we we're actually fighting for um, a little more. We saw like how real these things were within our culture, within our society of like what we are actually fighting for. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's cool. It's super cool, and I'm I'm excited to do the EA Sports thing. And um, yeah, yeah, I definitely would be do. That's my favorite video game. But Zach and I have the revamped version now. <laughs> so we got all the updated rosters and uh and everything. So definitely be playing with you later. But um, you know, so you're talking about moving on in your career. If you're gonna still be doing everything, uh. Let's continue with that. What what made you want to stay at Stanford? Because I know I know that there's a possibility of you maybe going to the draft this year. What what was that made you want to stay for your senior season? Yeah, I mean, through so the beginning of the season, like going into the season, I told myself um, these are the, the accolades I want to make, uh, the stats I want to achieve, um, yada yada yada. I want to do this, want to do that, um, and see how everything unfolds. See. If I'm draft eligible, how that all unfolds, if I'm ready to leave college, that sort of thing. So as the course of the season went on, like that thought kind of what I really wasn't thinking about that. I was really just thinking about game to day to day, practice to practice, game to game. Towards the last game of the season, I had a conversation with my coach about the next level and how things were a little bit more sweet than I had imagined them to be um, in that there was a strong possibility that um, the thing scouts were saying about my performance, the thing scouts were saying about my abilities, yada, 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 was basically pointing in the direction like, okay, you have a really, really good opportunity to leave. Um, and that struck me as like surprising just because I wasn't, wasn't something that I was constantly thinking about on top of being a player at Stanford, you don't get like media attention that much. So you don't really know like, okay, Am I actually that good? Like, what's going on? Like, that, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? So, like, it wasn't something that I was thinking about. And then that was brought up, brought upon me. Um, and I just waited out the process in my draft eval and got a decent grade. But it wasn't what I know what I'm capable of doing. Um, it was a decent grade to leave. I can say that. Um, but uh, I was already planning. Like, even before I had the conversation initially, I had that thought process of, of okay, I want to come back want to have a better year um so it was just like kind of a shocking um, conversation that I had with the coach about okay you you can you're able to leave if you want to um but I wanted to come back wanted to wanted to like develop some more relationships here um play football wanted to grow in a lot of different ways um be dedicate myself more in my craft um prepare my mind for the next level just there's a lot of different things that I want to be able and be ready to do before I leave. Um, so that's that's part of the reason why I decided. I mean, that's the majority of the reason why I, why I came back. Um, but yeah, was getting your- so. I got a quick question. Go ahead. 
I got a quick question for you. Um, so speaking about like NCAA um, and how me and Grace play all the time, if you were to put yourself in the game right now, mm-hmm. what overall do you think you'd be versus what overall would you put yourself as? Mm. It's tough. I'm super humble, so I'm probably going to sell myself <laughs> short. Um, man, that is tough. I wish I had like. I, have, a- I don't have. I don't. I don't have any like. I don't play Madden and I don't play NCAA, so I don't really know like the rake the ratings. But you got to be at least oh. eighty. I mean it. Yeah, I did say yeah. I'll give myself. <laughs> I'll give myself like a B. I'll give myself like a B minus. So whatever, whatever that goes to an eighty, I guess. Um, yeah, I'd say like. Because, like, if we're playing with you, we're obviously going to say you had a 99 now. Like, you <laughs> you can't be sorry when we're playing with you now. So, we're going to be using Stanford a lot more. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find the ratings. You can't find ratings anywhere on the game. I'm trying to, like, you know, maybe help relate. But, uh, yeah, you definitely need to get on the game, first of all. Next time you're in Tampa, we'll, we'll hook you up. Yeah, I know. We need to. I Dude, I just play Call of Duty. That's all I play. So Yeah, we're all dang. Yeah, how do you play Call of Duty and not want to play with yourself in a video game? I just play. I don't. I don't play sports games. Right? I don't watch sports. I, I don't follow anything. I just play Call of Duty. You, so you don't. Do you follow NFL at all? Mm-mm. You don't follow football in general, like at all. That's crazy. You know, somebody asked me who was playing the national championship, and I was like, Alabama, and I'm pretty sure it's Georgia. Like, I, bro, I really don't. Why is that? Is that always been the way, or is it just like you've been just so overwhelmed with the amount of football in your life already? Yeah. No, it's always been that way. Actually, like, I'm more interested in watching football now because I actually play and I actually know what's going on a little bit more. But, like, growing up, didn't really watch anything at all. That is insane, dude. Because I watch, like, especially college football. If I'm not out, I'm, I'm watching the college game day, like, 100,000%. Well, I, think, I think that part of it also is, like, I think that's, like, um, going into, like, the whole psychological aspect of it. I think that's what cultivated my idea my perception and idea of like college football, like as a high school crew, like it wasn't that big of a deal to me because like I didn't watch football. I didn't follow it. So it wasn't like, Oh my goodness. Like I used to watch them play all the time. Like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to be a part of this or, you know what I mean? Like that's probably what cultivated my belief system of like, okay, I'll go to Stanford and play, even though they don't get a hundred thousand fans like Texas does. Like, I think that's probably part of the reason that, didn't really care that much. That's insane, though, dude. Like, you don't watch it at all. You don't follow it. I mean, like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But maybe that, that so, helps aspect, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing, I like how you brought up uh, the psychological aspect of football. And you're also a psych major at Stanford, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. through your learning at Stanford studying psychology, how has that changed your mental perspective of not only the sport you play, but like looking back on it and how you went through this whole recruitment process and how you view yourself as a student athlete? Like, do you think it's um, grossly made a 180 and like you completely see it differently than what you thought it was? Or have you kind of like just more come to terms and learn to accept like the process was um, what it was back then? Yeah. Um, I would say like, first off, I learned, I've learned a great deal about how I function as, as a human being and how my mind works and that sort of thing and how like just psycho- like psychology in general. Um, but so my, 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 
my understanding of your question is like, what would, what, what do I think of the process? Like, do I, do I accept it? Do I wish I would have changed it? Like something like that. Kind of, or just like more on the aspect of like how you view like yourself now, like you kind of touched on a little bit, just like you're more like comfortable in like your self image and mm -hmm. yeah, but just like more so in that direction, just like how yeah. psychology has like changed your perspective of not only your life, but football as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, let me think of a way to say this. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a very specific I like to think of myself as an overthinker. I overanalyze a lot of stuff. I think about a lot of stuff and how it ties in and everything like that. Um, so I think like learning the things that I've learned, um, I meet with like a sports psychologist, like every other week, once a week, um, just trying to find the ways to get like a mental edge is definitely something that I've learned and that I've had to um, incorporate into my grind process is like, there's a whole another side of the game that I really wasn't too familiar with just because it came so natural to me. Um, and the reason that I had to like was introduced and the reason that I've adopted like this, um, the reason I adopted like, okay, now I need to strengthen my mind or I need to find um, the mental aspect of the game is because like I've experienced the downside of that. Um, I've been in a slump before I came in as a freshman and I was just, just not just not right in the head with with everything going on um now whether i i have really haven't figured out what, what the factor what the reason was was for that but i definitely have learned through whether it's been psychology classes whether it's just been experience whether it's been um reflection on myself whether it's through sports psychology like i've learned that there's a, a very um strong component that is the mental side of things um, and that I'm continuing to learn, incorporate, and all that kind of stuff, and and how that is going to benefit me as a human being, also like as as an athlete. So there's definitely a lot of things I've learned and incorporated um, that I feel like some players have naturally, some players don't even have, um, are aren't even challenged to think about those sort of things. So it's kind of like they're always in this sort of like flow state because they don't really have to consider what's actually going on that in that in the case like overanalyzing um so yeah I think for me as an individual like I understood that I understood that I overanalyzed and I understood and I learned how to um work on that side of the game so it's all super interesting stuff for me personally just because it's, it's helped me as a player a lot um and I've learned a lot about it about myself through football and, and that sort of thing yeah I was just about to ask you that do you think that one of the reasons you had such a big jump after that freshman uh, slump, you said, was because of, like, the mental aspect. You know, like, you hear it all the time in sports that, like, uh, you don't realize how how much mental is, uh, is as important as the physical aspect, you know. Was that, like, once you understood that, was that something that helped you jump those levels that you're, like, now I'm almost yeah. not good at the NFL, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I going, – going through the slump, it was, it was a thing of, like – the way that I think about it is I, you have confidence and you have understanding of your ability. So when I came in as a freshman, I understood my ability. I knew the truth of my ability was like, it was like this, right? And my confidence level was like, like below the screen. So like 
making up for this gap of like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be here, but I'm playing like down here. That gap, like, did not did not make this like thinking about that gap did not make my situation any better. So first, first shortening that gap is one thing of like, okay, my level is going to be the same, my confidence, if not better or higher or whatever. Also acknowledging like, I don't have to worry about this in between part because that's not going to help me at all. Um, was something else that I had to learn to incorporate into my like thought processes and stuff like that. So yeah, there was a, there was a period of growth that I went through from my freshman year to my sophomore year, which was um, actually right before Corona happened, coronavirus started and all that kind of stuff. So from like January uh, to March, I think. So like eight to 10 weeks, <laughs> I, I adopted like these crazy habits, crazy eating habits, like just a lot of crazy healthy habits that I was incorporating into my lifestyle to cultivate like this whole mental aspect of the game. Um, and I was doing it on my own. Like I didn't really know what I was doing necessarily. I just knew that I was working. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't meeting with the sports psychologist. I wasn't really reading like what was actually going on. I just kind of learned it for myself from doing the things that I was doing and setting up um, my life, how I wanted to set it up so that I could benefit from it. And in that eight to 10 weeks, like my my mental processes, my body, my, my everything, my daily habits, like everything literally like 360 or I guess 180. Yeah. 180, like turned completely around. So that's only something that I, um, experienced firsthand and now I can understand how important that is. Um, so yeah, it, it was a super cool thing to experience. And I don't think, and I think going to Stanford was part of the reason that I experienced it. And it's crazy because making that decision in high school of I want to go to Stanford because this, this, and this, I want to grow as an individual. It was a choice and decision that I made in high school that now I can recall and like look back and retrospect and be like, okay, I actually already knew this whole process of growth and um, was going to occur. I just didn't know what that was going to feel like, if that makes sense. So it was something that I anticipated. I just didn't know how it was going to play out, how it was going to feel, that sort of thing. So there was a huge growth period for, my, for myself from freshman to sophomore year. And that's something that I'm, those habits are something that I'm adopting again and diving in more into for this next few months of training and stuff so that I can make the most out of my last uh, football season. Yeah, that, I loved what you said with the, um, the understanding your skill level and your confidence and that gap and like those bars. Cause I've never related like, when you said that, I automatically started having flashbacks. Because when I was in high school and I was wrestling, I had the exact same issue, man. Like my sophomore season, uh, my skill was definitely like I'm not like I'm not anyway saying I was way better than I was. That's not what I'm trying to say. I lost a lot of matches because I didn't think I was as good as I was. Like I was very good. Like I wasn't bad, but I was competing at a way lower level because I, I kind of want to say like kind of fanboyish, like if someone was really good in my bracket or like in, in my state, in my division, I would like, Oh dude, he beat this dude. He beat this dude. He's getting looked at by this school. Like he's got, he's better than me. Like I, I'm not getting into that. He's better than me. Even though in reality it was, he was a nobody, but then that kid would beat me not because of how good he was, but because I didn't believe in myself and mm -hmm. you got that gap shortened way faster. It took me years to shorten that gap. I would say I, I didn't shorten that gap until my second fight, which was in June. 
So four and a half years maybe until I shortened that gap. But now it's like, I think the difference is now is I, I don't fanboy anymore. You yeah. know, when I meet professional fighters or I'm, I train with guys in the room that are in the UFC or like that are living my dream, I don't fanboy over them anymore. I'm like, they, they wake up every day the way I, same way I wake up. They hit their knee on, on a corner. It's going to hurt the same way it hurts me. If I cut them, they're going to bleed like I bleed. Like there's nothing that makes them special. But yeah. I didn't have this view when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, it's one of I think, I think, I don't know you want. You keep going. You go, keep going. It's one of those things where it's like, I wish I could go back and put my mind now in my 14 year old body. Cause I could have had such a better career, but at the same time, I'm very appreciative that I, I learned it and I'm glad I finally learned it now rather than later, you know? Well, that, so that thought process of saying like, okay, in retrospective, like, Oh, I wish I would have thought that then that should drive you to continue to want to grow because you don't want to have that same thought five years later. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to delay your growth because you're doing stupid shit because you're not helping yourself. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. And there's a lot of things that we willingly do that degrade who we want to become and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, bro, it took, like I said, it, it was a fast transition for me, but I feel like the, the faster, the quicker transition, the more fragile it is, if that makes sense. So maybe for your, in your situation, like for the, the elongated period that you had, it, it you had a little more, you built a little more foundation, a little more structured, a little more confidence and um, a little more confidence in the process of it all and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, bro, it's it's definitely something that I feel like a lot of athletes go through um, and it's super difficult, especially when you, your identity is so consumed in, in your sport or, or anything that you do in, in life and anything that you um your job your like whatever, whatever you do you know what i'm saying um but going back to what i was going to say when i interrupted you was the I, I feel like it all come a lot of that feeling comes down to like comparison so like whenever you're comparing yourself to somebody else's whenever you can prepare whenever you can compare yourself to yourself and like your previous self that's when like you kind of fuel yourself to like okay i want to get better and get better get better get better so that's sort of how that plays into it all. But at the end of the day, it's like, for me personally, I found that like true confidence that can be broken is made when, or is made through like work, hard work, consistency, all the cliche things that people say, all the quotes and all that stuff, it's all true because like, if it weren't true, then like, why would everybody say it? You know what I'm saying? So like a lot of people will talk about consistency, hard work, resilience, this, this, and this. Um, but I feel like there's not enough people that actually believe in in that because they never experienced it for themselves, if that makes sense. So they, they think it's more like words than it actually is things that can change your life around or that can like build you into a person that you're proud of and that sort of thing. So I feel like more than anything, it's it's hard work creates creates skill for one but also creates that level of confidence that you can have in yourself which is also an additional skill because confidence you have to build through hard work or through whatever so it's all skill building bro and like at the end of the day like whenever you figure it out for yourself whatever it is whatever area of life or whatever aspect you're trying to like improve in like whenever you figure out how to do it and you and you accomplish it it's 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 a great feeling because now you know like okay now there's another level i can tap into because i did that but i know there's more so it's super cool. And, and I'm glad that you're able to experience that for yourself because 
it's some it's something that most people probably don't have to go through in their sport if they're really good at it um because some people are just innate and they don't have to think about that and they don't overthink or they don't overanalyze and they just do what they do what they do all the time without ever um being being encountered by that obstacle of that mental challenge so yeah i applaud you for that brother that's that's great that's great to hear Thank you. You know, what's crazy is that what, what helped me the most with it, which sounds insane is I stepped back for a year. I, mm-hmm. I completely stopped training and, and stopped competing. I was still working out and staying in shape, but I completely like stepped back for a year on the sport of mixed martial arts and, and on wrestling, just because I, with my time as a freshman, I didn't have a car. I didn't really have the money. Like it was just at, at my life at the time, I, I wasn't able to, to do it. And mm-hmm. I was always scared. I was always on this mindset growing up, you know, especially in the wrestling world. It's like, it's like hard, 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 hard. Every day you got to go as hard as you can. You got to lose eight pounds. Like it, you need to be broken every day. And it's like, that was my mindset. So I was like, you know, if I step away, I'm done. My career's over. Like I'm never, I, if I'm not working, there's going to be 50 other kids that want the same dream as me that are working. But in reality, like, yeah, I might not have been getting the, the physical work that they were getting, but my mental got so much better in that year off, man. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was just like not having to stress about it and and not having to think about it all day made me love it more and it made me miss mm-hmm. it more and it made me see it from from a different perspective where i stopped comparing myself you know what i mean and and going into like what i was saying earlier with the fanboy i stopped fanboying you know now back in the day if i if i was in a practice with a guy that was a division one wrestler an elite guy that i wanted like stuff like that i would i would shy away when i when i compete against them now it's the exact opposite i give it to all i got because i'm like if i can whoop up on you now i know how good i am you know what i mean but I was too scared to make that jump. And, and that does also go back to what you're saying with the hard work. You know, when I go into, when I went into uh, uh, both of my fights, being tired, it wasn't even a thought in my mind because I know that I push myself to exhaustion every time I do a cardio circuit. Anytime it's a, it's a, a blowout at my lungs day in my, in my training camp, I know I go as hard as I absolutely can until I fail there, then I know I'm never going to fail in the cage. You might exactly. be on skill, but I, I'm never going to gas. And that's a yeah. confidence I didn't have when I was younger. But now I'm realizing, like, I work too hard for that, you know, and that's when you, and when you, thing when you well. develop when you develop that mindset of I work too hard for X, I work too hard for this, I work too hard, yada, yada, yada. You, you like you said, you, you push yourself to exhaustion when you work out or whenever, whatever you're doing, you work as hard as you can. Whenever you do that, you're basically telling your mind, I gave it all that I had. Right. Whenever you give it all that you have, like so many other aspects of your life are altered because you, in your mind, you say to yourself, I work too hard to not, let's say I work too hard to not get enough sleep because if I don't get enough sleep, then I'm not going to benefit from the exhaustion I just put myself through. Or um, I'm not going, I'm, what, what was it? I'm not, I'm too good to, what was the, what was the quote? My bad. I just, like, I let the quote. Yeah. What, what was it? That you just said. Oh, I work like I work too hard. I work too hard. Yeah. So I work too hard to not stay high. Like as an athlete, I work too hard um, to not stay hydrated, to put myself in the best position, to reap the benefits of my exhaustion that I put myself through for training for three months. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. once you are able to work that hard and actually in your subconscious believes like, okay, that I gave it all that I had every time, then it's like everything else in your life just kind of follows that, if that makes sense. Um, no, for sure. And you know, yeah. another thing was that helped my psychological a lot is, so every, like every team I ever grew up being on in wrestling or like every MMA team I ever fought on always had like one kid that was like 
a standout, like the like the the perfect kid. Like I, I grew up wrestling with one of my best friends, Julian Ramirez. He's uh, a freshman at Cornell. He's ranked ninth in the country as a freshman. You know, one of my other teammates, Anthony Ardalona, full ride to UPenn. He was lost in the. He was a, a match away from placing at NCAs as a freshman. You know, so they're they're elitists. You know, and mm-hmm. one thing that helped with my psychological aspect a lot is knowing that what what I did works because mm-hmm. I was doing the same practices they were doing. I was on the same nutrition they're on. I'm doing the same post workout they're doing. I'm doing everything the exact same that they were doing. And to see someone else do what I was doing and succeed, that really helped my my psychological also as well. Because I knew that the work because like sometimes you do some hard work and you do stuff that you don't understand. But especially when I'm at that age, but then I'm seeing it work. It, it helped me drive me more too. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm doing what the greats are doing, it's going to work out. And that's something that yeah, that's, that's, that's just the mental. Yeah, that's the mental side of it too. Is is that's a it's a manifestation of the mental side of everything is just that comparison and everything. I know Zach's holding on to something, so I'm going to go to him real quick. Oh, yeah. I've been dying on this. Um, you like you brought up earlier about how you look at your or it was yourself who like helped you realize that this was your confidence level and this is your ability. Was there a point in time or maybe it was an environment change or someone to help guide you on the right path that helped you see things this way? Or do you think it was just all within yourself and then it just took like one moment for you to realize it like what were some things that helped play into where you are now honestly i feel like more than anything obviously like the person that you are is is a result of the people that you have helped you along the way the how your upbringing all that kind of stuff but for those six months i think august when training camp started august to march whenever i made the transition or whatever so for those few months was was solely on me like i didn't have a conversation really with anybody else about what was going on um i didn't share my emotions very much with what what was going on i kind of figured it i felt the pain that i was feeling for two to three months um and then i just just did it for myself honestly like I, i i don't know why i don't know why i thought what i was gonna do was gonna work but it did um i learned how things work i learned why they work all that sort of thing and i learned it for myself um but now like i'm diving into actually like using my resources like sports psychologists or like reading up on things or talking to other people like sharing emotion like all these sorts of things that um i understand now are actually going to help me and what i was kind of afraid to do when I was in that position um but yeah for the most part where that growth like actually happened and where that realization came and everything like that was solely solely on my own yeah you know that that's another thing too is I feel like going to like the business of NCAA like like you said they want the best players and it's kind of scary to think like there's a lot of these kids that are 17 18 year old that, that don't have anything and they don't have a direction and their whole life they've been told you're the best you're the best and they're better than everyone in high school then they go to college and they get adversity for the first time. And it's like a lot of coaches are like, oh, he wasn't good enough. All right, we'll just get the next guy. And there's no one that really died them. So like, if you, what, what do you think is like something the NCAA or like we as a society could do to help these kids a little bit and help them, you know, calm them down. Like, yo, it's just a bump in the road. You're going to be fine. Cause a lot of kids don't, they don't have that support. And, and you know, and that's something you see all the time. You see these four and five stars. They don't even play. They're out in college. Cause they just don't think they break down mentally, you know? Yeah. I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like there's, there's resources available um, in a lot of different places, if not all places. <clears throat> but more than anything, I feel like it's like a paradigm shift within society. Like the biggest thing is the paradigm shift in society. 
Um, and it's kind of happening right now with mental health and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also a step down is um, the paradigm shift for mental health in men. And then there's another paradigm shift in at the next level is um, a paradigm shift in um, athletes. And then there's a paradigm shift in um, African-American athletes. There, there's just a lot of, a lot of levels to it. Um, and I feel like the best way to actually like get into it and kind of be a more directed source of um, a source of aid is like, having the resources to begin with at these schools so like for instance like we have a sports psychologist at our school um a lot of our conversations that we have when they're intimate about sometimes we take we take a step back from football maybe like twice or three times a year um within the team just to talk about the resources that we have the psychologist give a meeting um it's it's prioritized it's something that's prioritized it's not shied away from i don't know how other programs operate i don't know if that's um shown to them as a resource in front of the entire team I, I don't know how that works um but I feel like that's the first step is making sure that players people um understand that they have resources but also understanding that the resources that they have are going to actually work um yeah so I feel like the paradigm shift is happening right now with mental health which is a huge thing I think um and that's gonna result in more resources being available and that sort of thing everything being destigmatized. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely a, a aspect of our culture that's going to be going to be like helped and aided as mental health is a big topic and continues to be a bigger topic of discussion within the the sports world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool to see it all unfold and it's cool to see people actually um, being able to be helped and also seeing that the resources are being almost mandated, I would say, for a lot of these places. So, yeah. What's cool about it, too, is now, like, uh, I feel like within the last 10 years, at least, you know, that's like as long as I've been following sports deeply, is like you're seeing the trend of people not – people forgetting the athletes are people, too. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I see it with, like, that this season, the Tennessee fans throwing stuff on the field or, like – people spitting on Russell Westbrook and, and stuff in that aspect. It's like, yeah, you know, you want the rivalries. That stuff's fun. The trash talk is fun. Like, there's, like, there are gimmicks to it that are enjoyable that athletes do enjoy. But at the same time, like, there are people, like, uh, with, like Calvin Ridley having to step back for the season for his mental health, you know, like Simone Biles having to, to step down. It's like, yeah, they are exceptional people because of how gifted they are as athletes and, and how they can overcome adversity and achieve these great things. But they're still humans, you know, and that – and you're starting to see that now, and you're starting to see people starting to understand that, which I personally believe is huge for the sport, is for sports and uh, building sports as well. You know, because I'm all about. I personally think every kid in America should play a sport. You know, I think mm -hmm. it should be mandated, but that's just my crazy opinion. But like, it is, it is something that's going to benefit people putting their kids into sports for sure. Yeah, there's definitely, there's there's definitely a level of um, mental fortitude that an individual has to have when they compete at these mm -hmm. levels and when things are expected of them and um, especially now with social media and how people can be more, um, people are more accessible to having somebody see what they feel about them. So let's say like a troll on Twitter comments on me or, or tags me and something is like, oh, you suck. Like we're, we're in an era where things are a little more susceptible and things are a little more accessible to actually like alter the minds of these individuals. Um, but also like a step back is also, I feel like a lot of 
not a lot of, but I would say uh, there's a majority of the a majority of the things that we see in the sports world focused on college football and NFL and the NBA is 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 a manifestation of of bigotry. Also, is like there's a predominantly like the people that excel in these in these sports disproportionately African American, black and blacks. You know what I mean? So it's there's also that conversation that um, I'm kind of holding back on having just because I don't know where we want to go with this whole thing. Um, but there's definitely that that plays into all the conversation that we've had thus far. Um, yeah. So. Now, if you want to go ahead, go ahead, Zach. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're more than welcome to get into that. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit um, when you talked about like kind of like mandating some of the resources or just having them available. Mm-hmm. And I liked how you talked about specifically like making sure the resources work. Cause like thinking back to like myself in high school as a baseball player, like even if I would have had a sports psychologist there to help me on the mental side, I think I was just too hard headed of a kid at the time to even like trust that process. But I think that's where the most important thing is like athletes like you who like have utilized it so well and have helped you grow as like a player, like you're the proof of the process. Like you are like the stat, the significance that like, this is why this works. This is why it's needed. So um, I'm glad you brought it up and talked about it because for a lot of people, the resources, even though they could be there, they're just put out there to say like, Hey, you can get this because you can't like in most colleges, like, Oh yeah, we have a tutoring center for like this and that. But like, you wouldn't really use it unless you knew it was going to benefit you. So I think that's like a real big thing about like just making sure the resources work and trying to like make sure that what you are putting out to the people, like what you want to build society for better, you have to make sure works first. And especially what you're doing now with um, the athletes United is like such a big thing. Cause like you guys have shown that like you deserve it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like um, going back to that, like the big thing that I first remembered was the Simone Biles thing, uh, her not participating. And like my Twitter was just so like, she should do it, she shouldn't do it, like all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. And like, I, I, I would li- I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't understand both sides of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I do understand both sides. And that's why I, I, it's hard for me to, to give my opinion on it because like, the 99.9% of the people that disagree with what she did have never ever achieved anything in such an aspect as she has in her sport. So Mm -hmm. for them to say that she shouldn't have competed or anyone, like not even just her in general, like any professional athlete that's like huge or big named, like to say that, Oh, they shouldn't do it. Like they should be mentally strong. Those people have no idea the stress and the level that they have. And at the same time, when, when you are like Simone Biles, who has the most Olympics, most Olympic golds ever, she's going to know where she needs to be mentally in order to prepare like that. She's been there a million times. She knows, all right, I can't do it. But at the same time, Elijah, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there are some people that do kind of abuse that as well. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of use the mental health, uh, rather using it in a serious aspect, they kind of use it as an excuse. You know what yeah. I mean? They're like, yeah. we got in trouble for this, or I'm not doing because of this, oh, I'm just going to say I have a mental health issue which mm-hmm. not, the majority of people don't do that. But with anything that's, that's new or coming out, there's going to be people that, that you abuse the system. And I'd be lying if I said that that, that wasn't happening. You know, mm-hmm. so it is, this is one of those things where I feel like you really need to look at every perspective. You know, every story is two sides kind of thing, I feel like. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to happen with, like, anything, like, 
people will use anything as a crutch. And when people do that, they're not helping themselves at all. So at the end of the day, like the only person that is going to actually benefit or not benefit by using that or a crutch as a crutch or actually using it as truth, that it's going to, it's going to result in either them being better or them being worse at the end of the day. So like the opinions between like, let's say someone buys like the opinions that people have for that people are entitled to their own opinion. Like that as much as like, it's a big deal. Like it, in, in the grand scheme of things, it does not matter. Like it's not going to affect anything. You know what I mean? What me and you think is not going to affect anything for her. Like, unless she's sitting here, like listening and reading to like everybody's tweets and stuff like, it really doesn't matter. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, yeah, we can, we can keep going. I mean, I don't know what else to say after that. That's, yeah, that's that all I got. The first time I was like, like, it, it was the first time I really had, I felt like uh, the way to say is I really do my research before I made my own opinion. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll get, I'll see like, like something like Zach will send me a video or one of my friends will send me a video. Like, what do you think about this? And I can look at it and be like, Oh, I think this, like, I think yeah. this on this but like it was the first time i really had to sit back and i was like i obviously i would i would like to but being realistic i'm most likely never going to achieve any athletic accolades in my entire life or any accolades in my entire life in general to the level of simone biles Mm -hmm. for me to say oh she's soft or anything like that like she she knows where she needs to be in her mind space you know yeah she knows what it takes to be there but at the same time you know i do understand the other side too it's like you're representing your country there's going to be stress but who knows, like, and like you were saying, also, when you were a freshman, nobody knew what was going on in your head when you were at your slump. You knew, mm-hmm. and maybe like your, your close family, like your mom and dad and your brother, but the majority of people didn't know. So we don't know what's going on in their head, too. And like, as you said, as we started to get more open about mental health and starting to realize that it's actually a real thing, there's so many factors at play. You know, it's one of those things that you were saying, mm-hmm. it's very complex. Yeah. And opinions, like, and if someone's opinion can it's hard to change someone's opinion when it's very strong but for the most part like people have opinions because of the knowledge that they accept as true or as fact yeah. so that's so like and as we have as a society like grown into like this digital media age where we see like whatever we want to see whenever we want to see it as much like let's say it's going through tiktok like you're getting so much information right so much information so your attention is kind of being like distorted and your attention span is kind of being distorted in a way so like that is kind of creating these these beliefs of things that are kind of like not supported by a lot of stuff a lot of information and it's creating these these ways that people think and operate and like okay if they see one thing they're going to believe this and they're not going to have the attention capacity the attention span to actually read an entire article about it they're just going to see the title and be like oh like shit like yada 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 happened like and then if you actually read the article it's like okay the title was so misleading like this is so stupid like why would they even put this as the title like let's say in a news source or something like that because a lot of the time like if people actually sit down and read if what is written is like true and it's not necessarily like falsified or anything they'll realize like, okay, this is actually not what I thought it to be. Um, so yeah, that's that's just going into the whole opinions and how opinions are shaped and that sort of thing. You don't have to tell us, dude. We're both media journalism students. <laughs> the deception of the media, bro. We can talk about that for hours. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, no, I love it all, bro. I love all of it. Yeah, no, but I mean, like I was trying to say uh, when you were saying, it, it's that we live in a clickbait generation. 
you know? And it's like, there's so many times like in, in and out of the sports world where people say stuff and I'm like, yo, you just read that off of Twitter, bro. Like you don't, you don't have a source. Like we're not teaching. People. I don't like to talk a lot about a lot of things just cause yeah, I just, it's like, you're the dumb one because they're mm-hmm. like, Oh no, well, blah, blah, blah. I saw it on Wikipedia. Like, bro, you need to understand the strength of a source. You know, understand yeah. like, like the, 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 the depth of the topic, like, yeah, they want you to read a headline and get triggered. That's how they get their views. That's how they make their money. They're, that's how me, media is evil. Okay, like yeah. that's how that works. But like, I think, I think the truth. I think my the way that I was I speak to people and the things that I say is I've learned like you like we're talking about now is that a lot of the things that like I believe are so like have such a like a foundation of just like opinions and stuff of that nature. So I like to try to stay away from super controversial things unless I've seen or experienced things firsthand that actually apply to my understanding. Because at the end of the day, like we all, all three of us have had completely different life experiences, experiences as a human being that shape our own opinions of what we believe. And I feel like that is what truth is, is what everybody has in common, if that makes sense. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to put that in better words. It's just like, you like, Let's say, Zach, if you wanted to speak about, like, what's something that you enjoy doing? Yeah, like playing video games, I guess. Like someone that's never played well, video let's, games. Yeah, let's, like say playing, let's, say, let's say I didn't – okay, what game do you like to play, actually? Me? Yeah. I play COD, Apex, uh, Madden, and CAA. Like, I'm on right, a rotation. I don't, I don't play, play that much Madden. I don't play that much Madden. I play Apex and Call of Duty and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you were to be like, oh, I'm Madden, like um, – Antonio Brown is like insanely fast. Like I've I've seen it firsthand. Like I know like how it works. Yada yada yada. That would be you like sharing experience with me that you experienced firsthand. Like then I'd be like, okay. I guess that that's a that's a terrible way to put it. But yeah, just just, just take away what I said just right then and yeah. just just keep it yeah. because I I can't <laughs> I can't find a way to explain yeah. it. Well, in I mean, like a real world example though, because like. Um, this is like kind of where we are now. And like back to what you were saying um, earlier, like it's hard for us to have a dialogue, um, especially about race between two different races. Like how am I supposed to speak on your experiences as an athlete? Like when I don't face the same um, persecution or like ridicule for like my skin color, like I would never understand what it's like to go through that. Like I have family that is, and like, they can tell me as much as they want, but how can I, like, I can be empathetic, but I can't be sympathetic with you because I've never personally been through it. Like mm-hmm. everything you're telling me is what I have to take for fact because I trust you. Mm-hmm. So like, it's kind of, yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah, hard yeah, in that yeah, context. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a perfect thing, word application of it. The other thing of that too, though, is like uh, going with the clickbait is like, we live in a very stubborn society mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, like if we're on a race topic or a political topic and we have different opinions on it, like, one thing that I, I'm, I'm like, there's like a humble brag. It's like, I'm very happy that I've started looking at double perspectives on things before I give my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. before I make a pre even create an opinion. And I didn't used to do that when I was younger, whatever side I was on, I'd fight that side. And if I, if you disagreed, you were wrong. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like, although I've matured and I've done that, most of society doesn't do that. Like if we disagree on a topic, 99% of the time, if I try to show you my side and listen to your side, you're not even going to listen to what I say. You're not going to care. You know, like that's another issue that, that comes with it when it comes to like uh, sticky topics and situations as well. Yeah. And, it, and it's a lot of it stems from people not wanting to feel uncomfortable because like when you 
you establish these beliefs and you understand these things to be true there's it's called i think it's called cognitive dis- dissonance it's basically like whenever you believe something to be true and you hear something else and it's a fact basically or you see something that goes against what you believe it, it offers this strange feeling within you which is i think it's pretty i think it's pretty sure it's called cognitive dis- dissonance but when you're like faced with something that, that is different than what you believe to be true and a lot of people don't dive into that feeling because they shy away from it because it's uncomfortable but at the end of the day like we're discussing any type of growth whether it's in sports or, or like a mental aspect of thing like to to be able to grow and experience growth like you have to experience like being uncomfortable whether that's going through a challenge whether that's putting yourself through exhaustion on a, in a cardio circuit like whatever that is like you're not going to be able to get to the next level unless you like are yeah like face a challenge or adversity and that goes with like kind a- of my bad but um i like how you brought a cognitive dis uh dissonance because like i actually studied that this past semester and had to write papers on it and like one of the big proponents of that is because as a society we do such um i guess it's a bad job of like grouping ourselves with these labels like like a lot of people label you as a student athlete but you're so much more than just an athlete like you can provide so many things outside of just Mm -hmm. being an athlete but yet people won't give you the opportunity to, or um, some athletes might be afraid to speak out on things because of how they're just you. Like, for example, um, if LeBron James tried to speak out about a social issue, someone will go on the air and say, shut up and dribble. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, we have such a difficult time. So with that being said, you're saying, do you're you... Saying that my understanding is that you're saying that um, the adoption of like this identity like prevents an individual so the, the adoption of an identity prevents an individual from expressing um or doing something in a different thing that people don't see them as because they accepted this identity and they're sticking with that if that makes sense yeah so 100 you're 100 right and what i wanted to where i wanted to go with that was do you try to just accept that you're an athlete and just try to do more from that or do you try to like remove yourself from the identity so you can remain kind of transparent and just that like I'm a, I'm a person first. Like, I don't, like, I don't want to be viewed as like just an athlete. I want to be like more than that. Yeah. I think it, there's ways to leverage both sides of that. Um, as like, there's, there's always like an A and a B or a back, a black and a white. There's always things that you can get out of both. So I, f- I feel like finding the balance obviously between that. Um, but definitely like being an individual as myself and being like Elijah Higgins and just that, not the athlete, not anything else, but also, leveraging my 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 platform as an athlete um or as a, a Stanford uh, student or whatever it is um I feel like as long as you leverage them in the right ways with good intentions in mind like you're really not doing anything wrong and then you can just you know what I'm saying no I kind of want to piggyback off that too uh I I agree with what you just said because like as a fighter one big thing for me is when I when I first started fighting is I had to like clean up my social media because I started getting sponsors, you know, I'm starting to get like, I'm starting to get involved in real life. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being a marketing tool for, for restaurants and for businesses. Like, so everything I do and every action I do represents that organization. So it was like, yeah, I, in that aspect of my life, I, I kind of have to be gracing the fighter and not gracing the person. Mm-hmm. Because I obviously I, I try to go, I try to get endorsements and sponsors through people that I have personal relationships with. So they understand who I am as a person, but at the same time, if I'm not competing and I'm not training, they're not going to give me money to fit, to be the face of, of what I am because mm-hmm. that's what I'm supposed to do. 
you know, yeah. but then there's other aspects of like when I'm hanging out with my friends or I'm meeting new people, I don't want to be friends with them just because I'm a fighter. I want them to be friends with me for who I am. So yeah. I do like what you said, the leverage, because I feel like it is something that changes based on the context and based on the position you're in. Exactly. But yeah, so let's, uh, a lot of psychological, you would dive a little back, uh, back in on the sports now. Loved it though. Not nothing, nothing against no, it. Ahead, bro. Um, so going to a big school like Stanford, you obviously played in some awesome environments and probably some not so awesome environments. What, what would, if you could just, you know, give us a little uh, rundown and recall, what would you say was one of the best environments uh, you played in? What would you say is one of the, one of the worst or not? So not so yeah. memorable environments. Um, I really enjoyed when there was nobody in the fan, in the stands during the Corona season. I think it took, it took a level, it took a part of the game of college football away. And it was strictly like, us versus them, me versus you, like nothing else mattered. Like it was just us. Like at the end of the day, like, like playing street football, basically like for playing, like pick up basketball or pick up whatever it is. It's like, it's just the sport. Like there's nothing else to it. So I really enjoyed that part of um, the 2022 or 2020 season. Um, I think one of the best environments I've ever like experienced firsthand. It sucks that we got smacked by them, but in our, my first season as a freshman, we went to UCF and it was like the coolest, coolest environment ever. Um, the worst environment. Um, there's a few Stanford games that are just not fun at all. Um, as, as far as the attendance and, and the atmosphere is, 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 con- is concerned. But I mean, as a competitive athlete, like at the end of the day, like that shouldn't be, like I said earlier, like that shouldn't be what fuel, fuels you. Um but yeah, some Stanford games is like nobody there. Like there's 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 fans and stuff, but there's like there's like nobody there at all. So I love what you said. Yeah, it's, it's it's not it doesn't make it more fun at all. Obviously, like there's definitely a level of um, juice that you have to bring for yourself because you're not being um, influenced by like praise and applause and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, bro, like you're just playing football, and that's all that matters is doing your thing on the field. When you said the yeah. uh, the no one there, the instant thing I thought of was uh, uh, what's it called? Blue Mountain State when they do this the national championship. Oh yeah, and they do it <laughs> on the field and no fans and everything. That's yeah, but like that goes to kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the NIL a little too. It's like you have people. Uh, do people still love the game of football, or do they love what what comes with football? You know, like that's something that's especially now in the social media generation, we're starting to see a lot is like people that love like yourself, you love football. You don't care if there's fans there. You don't care if you're getting paid. Like you just want to play football versus people that are doing it because they like the fame from it. They like the money from it. They like the, the, the clout from it and stuff like that, you know, and, and that's kind of something we're starting to see that we didn't really see in the other generations. And you saw Kurt Herbstreit talk about it and he got so much backlash saying that, that today's generation of football players, which some don't love football like they used to love football mm-hmm. do you agree on that or what are your thoughts on on the actual love of the sport itself and not what comes with it yeah I think similar to the whole conversation about NIL and players already getting play, paid I feel like there's our like back in the day probably not so far back but probably in the past like 20 years like there's always been a level of oh if I go to Texas or Alabama like I'm going to be praised because I'm a football player like that level of value is are has already been integrated into the game of football, especially college football, because there's already even in high school, like at playing for the Texas high school football team or playing at the best team in California or whatever it is, like 
there's a there's a certain label that has value of being a football player, right? Especially in America, in the society, like any sport that you play, sports is such a, like a large like portion of like what our society and like how we um, uh, build community amongst each other is through sports. Like if you're playing football or any sport at a competitive level, like there's a label to that that holds value just because you're an athlete, right? I think with particular with like the NIL stuff, um, I feel like those people that are already susceptible to being influenced by um, wanting the fame, wanting the attention, wanting the clout, it's just going to be strengthened like 10 times more. Like it's going to be the same amount of kids probably, but it's just going to be like, oh, on a whole nother level where they're like posting all these things, trying to get like endorsement deals, yada, yada, yada. But I think for the most for the most part, the people that the people that will and have always loved the game of football or loved any sport because of the craft and because of the grind and because of like development and that sort of thing are going to continue to love the game because of that, if that makes sense. So for me personally, like I found that I found out that the reason I love the game of football now, maybe not, I haven't always loved it before, but the reason I love it now is because you can like, you can absorb yourself in like a craft and you can absorb yourself into like becoming something that, um, you can see the process of unfolding in front of you and that you know that you're doing a part of this to you're doing your part to achieve something greater than um, you were before or something like that. So I think the people that love the craft or love the game of football because of the craft are going to love the game of football because of the craft and the people that um, are susceptible or like anything for notoriety and fame are going to continue to love or do things for notoriety, fame, clout, attention, whatever you call it. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I, I, I got a quick question. Hi, um, yeah, back when you talked about you enjoyed more playing in the smaller environments because it took away an aspect of the game. Was there anything you gained from it being like so quiet? Like I know a lot of the times teams are built on silent counts, going through audibles, like were you able to hear the other sideline during the game? Like were the yeah, things so, that you so, could hear? Yeah. So like in in our offense, we operate in a very specific way. It's, I have my own personal opinion on it, but it's it's super complex and like some play calls will have like three different play calls, right? So we get to the line and sometimes we have to actually like hear the quarterback. We have signals, but it's easier to hear the quarterback. So like our that year where there was nobody in the fans, like we didn't have to do signals at all. We could just say, like, you could just call the audible play and we could hear it, which is good because like, you're not putting anything on film. Like you're not putting your signals on film. Everybody's on the same page. Like it's a lot easier. The communication is a lot easier. So I feel like that was something that was gained from them being in that environment. Um, yeah, I feel like that's, that's probably the most thing is just that level of communication is a little easier to, to have and, and that sort of nature. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's so crazy. Like the strategic value of no one being there now, like that's so different. That's, and, and you saw it also when like when the, uh, the UFC did like their fights in the apex, mm-hmm. like fighters would listen to the commentary and then they would, it'd be like, they were coaching them. Yeah. They would normally yeah. Hear that. Watching, watching fights with nobody in the state. Was, that was the coolest thing. Yeah, that was so cool. hear the hits too. And it's like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. A, I feel like without the fans, there's more of a realization to the sport. That sport exactly it's not it's not like oh like this is so cool it's more like holy shit these dudes are actually like trying to kill each other like yeah, this is actually crazy. don't 
bombs. Like, yeah. It's less of like, it's less of watching a movie and it's more of like actually watching a street fight to me. That's a, that's the best way I can say it. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. But I, I didn't think, cause like you think about the environmental aspects of football, but like it, the crowd is definitely a thing, bro. Like when you go play at like Penn state or at Michigan or at Alabama, that's a, that's a legitimate like factor in the game. Mm-hmm. That is a 12 man, you know, and to take that. Man. Out, like, yeah. I didn't even yeah, think about that. You got me, you got me thinking, Elijah. You got me thinking crazy. <laughs> but yeah going back so a little more on the football talk so with the um we just talked about you know players loving the game versus loving uh what comes with it opting out is something we're starting to see that definitely started happening about three four years ago becoming a bigger thing overall I just want to know what what are your opinions on on players opting out and say you did declare for the draft this season well um and Stanford was bowl eligible what would you have done in that situation as well yeah, bro, I think it all depends, like, individual to individual and what they prioritize and that sort of nature. Um, but I feel like when – given – like, given I was in that position and let's say I was a projected top 25 pick in the NFL draft and I was guaranteed um, $10 million to sign a piece of paper, right? If I was projected to do that and let's say our team was, like, 9-3, and three, we're playing in a, a decent bowl game um, – Yeah, honestly, like, I, I understand both sides. Like, I can understand, like, if somebody said, oh, I want to play for my team, like, that's that's up to them. Like, there's nothing wrong with playing for your team. And I don't think there's anything wrong in preserving your, yourself and your body to make sure that what you worked literally your, almost your entire life for becomes attainable and it's not affected by something out, out of your control. Um so, yeah, I think there's a lot of backlash on people making those types of decisions, which I think personally is kind of absurd because my opinion on it is, like like I said, like if you are guaranteed to have a, a financial, a financial, like... Like financial stability. Financial, yeah, financial, a life that has guaranteed financially financial stability... And you can remove that stress and you're able to provide for your family. Maybe you don't come from much. Like, it's a no-brainer to me. And just to say, just to think that people are actually, like, questioning these athletes, um, I mean, I, I, just don't, I just don't think that's fair. But at the end of the day, like I said, like, it's my, it's my decision. It's his decision. Like, at the end of the day, everybody in the world is going to do what is best for them because that's what human beings do is what they have their own best interest in mind with everything that they do. So if you'd asked me four to five years ago on it, I would have been like, yo, everyone should play. Like they're so soft, yada, yada, yada. But like going on, like I said, starting to learn both perspectives. I do. I, I, I feel like I'm in a very similar boat as you. The only time it's a little uh, confusing to me is when it's a huge bowl game. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in it, like, and like, I, I don't want to keep, quoting Kurt Herbstreit, but I just listened to him on part of my take, the Barstool one, and he made it some very interesting points. But he was like, you go back to 25 years ago, if you were a Rose Bowl winning player, Rose Bowl winning quarterback, you got un- an immense amount of praise. Like, if you won a Rose Bowl, you want to shoot, it was a very big deal. Like, it was it was, it was, it was, awesome. You know, it was like the second thing to winning a natty versus now you have Kenny Pickett and Kenny, Kenneth Walker sitting out on that New Year's Six Bowl. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like – winning that doesn't have the same. And I, I think the college football playoffs definitely is taking some off of it. And, you know, back to the media aspect as well. But like, that's the only time where I'm kind of iffy on it is when like, they sit on a really big bowl game, 
you know, because that's like something think, you love as a kid. I think, I think as, um, this is my personal take and opinion on it all, but I feel like as um, society has changed in the ways that it has dealing with race, dealing with just like anything, just society in general, over the course of 25 years, um, given that quote, over the course, course of 25 years, I feel like the world has changed so much and it's allowed players to feel like they actually have their own personal choice that has their best interest in mind, if that makes sense. So like, I feel like players now have more of a confidence in, okay, I can do what's best for myself and that's okay. Like, I don't have to worry what anybody else says. I don't have to worry, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like that's maybe the reason that it's becoming more, um, it's becoming more common. I don't know if it actually is being being more common. I don't know if players haven't opt, opted out in the past or not, but if that is true, I feel like the reason is like players now feel like they have, they're entitled, I guess entitled, but I feel like that has a negative connotation, but they're entitled to like reap the rewards of their own work that they put in for themselves and that nobody else can, can have their like legitimate opinion on. Because at the end of the day, like they're the individual who, is doing the things on the field that they did, is doing the things, they're the individuals that put themselves in the position. So like at the end of the day, it's their decision. And um, yeah, I, I can see both arguments, but I feel like it's a little absurd in, in some instances for some people to, to, to like go against it and, and make it out to be such a terrible thing for a player to opt out. I feel like in some way, um, we've started to see more players. Um, I forget who it was. I'm trying to think of the player that played in a bowl game and he got, he's, he was projected a first round pick, but suffered an injury and it costed his draft stock so much that like, that was kind of like oh, the shifting from like the Notre Dame. Right. Was it him? Yeah. He got, hurt I think so. Really bad in the end of the season. He, his draft stock got damaged too. Yeah. And it happened, to, we it happened started, to Bryce too. Season to season, he was projected a first round draft pick and he came back and got hurt so similar thing he was at Stanford yeah. yeah so we see people like that and then we see how much on the money side bringing it back into the money side of things that like you have so much going for you in your future like I know in the moment it's really hard to like look beyond like um, like we're playing in a huge bowl game like this would mean a lot for the school not only for myself since I perform really well but like if you're already solidified your status and you already know your worth, then like why even put yourself in that position where something can go wrong? Yeah. And I know it's kind of a really pessimistic point of view because like on the other side of things, you look at it and you're like, oh, well, like you put yourself on the line like every day prior. Like why now? Like why are you making this choice now? And like I know for some people it might feel like you're being backstabbed, but like the game and society has ramped up so much that injuries are becoming like way more prevalent like we didn't know about cte 25 years ago mm -hmm. like we had no idea like now that we do like you have to protect i like how you said protect your body like protect your mental and protect your chickens like that's the old how the old saying goes like you have to run with it so i mean i feel like the more we progress we'll like start to understand like when to do it and when not to do it but there's always going to be trial and error like we're going to have people that we view as made the wrong choice we're going to have people that made the right choice yep Exactly. I feel like it's like a superstitious thing too. Like there's a superstitious part of it, but also like, yeah, like if you're guaranteed like such much, such an opportunity, like why put that to waste after you put yourself through all this, but some people have their own opinions on it. And like, as a player, I feel like every player is entitled to their own opinion.
and you shouldn't argue. I mean, you're able to argue with them about it, but like at the end of the day, it's like I said, it's up to them and it's, it's their choice. I think when it comes to this topic too, that you need a sense of realization. Like you need to realize football is violent. It's very, Mm -hmm. very violent. And when I played, I played football to my, my junior year. I always was like, Oh, it's not that bad. Like people that don't play because they're scared of concussions or soft. Like that was my mindset. Like I was a born and bred wrestler, MMA fighter. Like I was never scared of contact. I wasn't yeah. like I was ready to go. When I left football and I started watching it from a perspective, I was like, dude, this is violent. Like people are like there is a 200 pound difference in some people and they're throwing their full body running oh, as fast as they can at each other. Like football is violent. And to, to say that, that, oh, you're probably not going to get injured. You can't say that. Like, especially at your, at your level, Elijah, like there, they, there, there are huge people out there. That I think, I think the scariest thing that goes unnoticed, cause there's so much like attention on like head to head and like concussions and stuff. I think the scariest thing on the field though, is the trenches, like with offensive linemen and the defense linemen, because they're like 320 pound bodies. And they're sandwiched up together. And it's just like their knees are just – that's the worst part of the game for me because I feel like you can avoid, like, head collisions and that. But the trenches is not going to change. Like, offensive line and defensive line in 300 – you're having, what, 300 times – what, five – yeah, so 1,500 pounds of – 3,000 pounds of, of weight in this big of a space yeah. with knees. And, yeah, that, that's the scariest thing to me. And then you see people like – so- in there and you're like oh no you know yeah. You're like, oh. yeah it's so funny that you like brought that up because it brings me back to the one year I played football in high school and of course we were playing Cambridge Christian and I don't know if you know who Nicholas Petit Friere is mm-hmm. but I remember Grayson do you remember were you there on the team that year I believe or did you not play do you remember when Coach Mark subbed me in at the end and I had to go against this five-star offensive tackle and just got absolutely manhandled like a child? Like, that was the moment for me where I was like, some sports just, like, aren't worth trying. Like, football is a grown man's game, and that was not fun at all. Like, now, I've had that moment for me. Have you ever had a moment in football where, like, you were like, oh, shit, like, so, like someone is significantly bigger than me or, like, they hit you really hard and you were like, oh, shit, like, I'm here now. Like, this is the level that, like, I'm playing at. To be honest, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I mean, I've always been, like, bigger and fast and and stronger. And I was – I feel like the only only thing that I actually experienced similar to that is, like, that mental step. I think that's the only thing that there is, is a mental blockade, like, when you go to the next level. Unless you're just, like, not very big or, or anything like that, if you're kind of similar or faster or bigger, like, there's really not that physicality point of it for the most part. But I feel like there's a mental jump, which is just as important and just as like applicable to what you're talking about. And I feel like that's where I, um, what I experienced is like, damn, like thinking like someone is so much better than me. When in reality, like I knew deep down that I was like 10 times better than him. And like, I feel like that's where it comes down to. Um, but there's definitely been instances where I've seen like players like, on other teams or on our team i'm just like damn like he's big but also when you're around the guys so much it becomes so normal that like for me like during let's say during football season i'm around the guys all the time and like for instance like this this christmas break when i was when i went home to florida went to the airport and everything every time i go to the airport 
I realized like, holy crap, like I'm around some giants all the time because these people look tiny. So I feel like I'm kind of like, it's normal to me to see like somebody six, seven and 325 pounds. Like that's normal. So. Yeah. And I like what you said, like the normality of being surrounded by it. Cause like being a fighter, the rugby players at FAU always try to get me to play rugby, dude. Like they are always, yo, come out, come out, come out. I'm like, yo, I will stand and bang with like, any person you put in front of me, but I am not stepping on the rugby field. You yeah, know? no. Yeah. Rugby is good. I, I, I don't do like, My mindset of, of being a fighter is like, yeah, right now maybe I'm a little crazy because I'm around it because it's normal to me. I'm around it every day. But the way I think about it is like we're only inches apart. There's only so much damage I could take versus – and we're the same size relatively versus like someone your size or bigger coming at me on rugby with no pads. Like, right. Now, obviously, granted, granted, when I get older and I get out of MMA, I might be like, yeah, I was crazy thinking that way. But I'm around it every day. I, I eat the punches every day. I eat the kicks every day. I'm used to that. I'm not yeah. used to a 350-pound man. That's why, that's why I like wrestling and fighting, and UFC and boxing, all that, because you're going against somebody that is, like, literally identical to you. So you have no real edge of, like, physicality or anything like that. Like, for me personally, like I said, like, I grew up always being bigger than people. Like, so it's kind of innate to think, like, oh, I can overpower him. But, like, if I ever faced – if I had to go in the UFC octagon or whatever – or MMA octagon, and so I went against somebody like that was exactly that had the same. Like, I, if I went against myself, I would be like, "Holy shit!" So I applaud like any fighter, any wrestler, because like that's just like a different level of of competition, or any or anybody that's like smaller than in like that a smaller athlete than what they compete against. Like, I applaud people who are like that because that takes a a certain level of like confidence, mental fortitude to like say, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit about him being bigger than me or faster than me. I'm still going to whoop his ass. So yeah, that's, that's, that's ridiculous to me. Yeah. No, I like how you said that. Cause it takes that. It's a whole, there's like, and it's not even just fighting. It's any sport. You said someone that has a disadvantage with size or even with speed or anything like that. And they still perform well. It's like, that's a whole strategic value that you lose. And I admire it, especially because I'm like, that guy's not like that receiver's not beating that corner because he has a four one speed or because he's stronger and he can get through him. He's beating him purely because of technique and skill. Mm -hmm. you know? like, that's mm -hmm. why when I, especially in the wrestling world, like when I have teammates or friends or you hear someone that doesn't cut weight that that wrestles very well or competes at a very high level, you admire their skill so much more because they're not using their strength and their size to win these matches. They're mm -hmm. using hard work and, and good technique and and good skill uh, to win that. Uh, and yep. I like that you said that. I never even thought about it from that perspective. Nope. But in today's generation, though, everyone is massive going in. I mean, <laughs> dude, I, I feel so small all the time now when I see, like, high schoolers that are declaring to play divisional football. I'm like, how is that kid? He's a child. Like, mm -hmm. what? There's some crazy stuff, bro. I mean, it's probably always been like that. It's just more. We see it more. But there's definitely, like, a change in training and stuff probably that benefits the kids that are already, like, huge so i mean did you look at uh, it 10 years ago 10 15 years ago athletic trainers didn't exist you yeah exactly like none of that like, it was, yeah it was just like rec center in high school it wasn't like oh let's train to be the best yada 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 yeah so i wonder when we started to implement like sports specific like workouts like now we have like an identifiable thing like oh these workouts are more beneficial to like these sports like um I guess for you personally, but 
between training in high school and college, did you have a big change in your regiment? Like, did anything really like completely blow your mind? Like once you got to college, you were like, wow, like I actually have to train a certain way or I have to eat or drink, sleep. Like what changed for you that gave you like the biggest wake up call? Um, I would say just the intensity of training. Um, I had like a, I had a trainer, like a really, really good trainer growing up in high school that I went to like twice a week, early mornings and stuff. So I was used to like the grind aspect of like waking up and, and working out and doing stuff that other people aren't doing. But I feel like the, the thing that I hate the most that, that kills me the most is running, like running long distances, like track, like 400s. 800s miles like I could never run long distance so like in the off season we run like some long distance with time that's timed and that's like the thing that I hate the most like I just can't I, I do it obviously and I have to do it because there's a hundred other dudes doing it with us but that's one of the things that I really had to focus on and it sucks that it's not sport specific it's like you're just running to run it feels like but that's definitely something that I had to like figure out for myself and figure out how to like actually do. Um, but as far as like the, the eating habits and the sleeping and the working hard in the weight room and um, working hard on your craft and like getting like developing your skill level and that sort of thing. Like I knew all about that sort of stuff. I just had to, I just had to engage myself more with it to get more out of it. So that's where I'm at right now is, but yeah, just like conditioning was like my biggest wake up call, to be honest. Is there something specific about running in general or is it conditioning in general? Because, like, I, I don't mind cardiovascular work, but I specifically hate running for the boredom aspect of it. No, it's not. It's not boredom. I, I, I think my muscles are, like, a lot of my muscles are, like, fast twitch or whatever it's called. So they fatigue super easily. So whenever I, like, do long distance or something that's repeated, my, my body fatigues extremely fast compared to other people especially the people that are like used to running long distance or track runners and stuff like that and I didn't realize that like that that was a real thing until like about two three years ago um but yeah that I think that's why I hate it the most is because it's so challenging but it makes it that much more enjoyable whenever you get it done so I'm staying on the topic like you know before before you go I'm gonna use the bathroom real quick and yeah, plug my uh, computer in yeah so like I was saying, uh, going back to the trainers and stuff, did did you make like a how am I supposed to say like did you change like your nutrients and like like did you get on a diet or anything when you got to college that like helped you know maybe gain mass or like change how you perform as an athlete? Like was there a nutritional change that benefited you as well? Yeah, I mean that that uh, progress or that that jump that I made that I was talking about from like January to March, my freshman going into my sophomore year, I made this diet for myself I don't know what, what I why or whatever but basically like I was only drinking water um cut out like all unnatural sugars I guess you would say so candy chips saturated like processed foods all that kind of stuff um I was eating a very specific breakfast every day eating specific snacks every day where it turned into just like a, a habit and a routine for me I was eating a lot of food, a lot of protein, um, a lot of greens. Um, like I said, no sugar, a lot of water, a lot of sleep. Um, but it was like a, a very, very clean diet, but a lot of food. Um, 
And I think at the end of the seven week period, we do like a body scan, which is basically like, do you know how much body fat you are right now? Right now? Or what's the best body fat you've ever been at? Because I'm sure you- I was at 5.8 my sophomore okay. year. But that, was, that wasn't a healthy, like I didn't feel good. Like that was just like drain yeah. everything I had to make weight. Like that was very unhealthy. But I was a little- yeah. I went from, so in that, like I said, I think it was like six, it was six to eight weeks, probably a true six weeks of like intense training. Um, I think I went from 225, 225 pounds at, I want to say I was like 8% to six weeks later, I was 235 at five per 4.9 or 5%, I think. Damn. So it was, yeah, it was actually like, it was ridiculous. Like my whole, everything just like changed and you see it like change as you go and you feel good and you're eating good and you're sleeping good and your body feels healthy and you're not sore and like all these things. And you realize like what we were talking about earlier is you, you realize the importance of things that are preached so heavily, whether it's um, working hard or eating good or, or having good habits. And you realize like when you put that stuff into practice, like you can actually see um, change. And like, for me personally, like whenever I see like the Instagram workouts or like people like saying like, Oh, this is my body transformation from like day zero and five months later, I'm like, you can all that from zero to five, five months you can do like if you just have that much more attention to detail if you work that much harder like you can do these things like so much quicker than people actually realize because there's always another level and like when you're when you're training with when you have to wake up in the morning and you have no choice but to show up and run um three miles with all 100 other dudes like you have no choice but to adapt like training hard and that kind of stuff so i feel like it's harder to do that on your own obviously but like biologically like these 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 goals that people have are so attainable it's just like getting into the habits and routines and working hard and developing like the, the skill of having like a strong mind to work through work through workout or that sort of stuff um so yeah I, I, like i said i've seen that transformation firsthand um and i i praise the diet portion of it because i know that was a huge part in not only changing my body and my my composition but also how I felt throughout the days like no sugar I feel like was so like no like added sugar and that kind of stuff is was so like good for me um the sleep part of it made me feel so good and refreshed there's a lot of things that feed that that feedback loop of like if I feel good I'm gonna work hard if I work hard I'm gonna do the things that I feel good because I work too hard to not do the things that are going to benefit me from working hard, if that makes sense. So that's what I I learned that cycle for myself and, and getting into that cycle is is a lot of fun, which you can actually like feel like you're giving it all that you have and it's changing you in so many ways. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I get comfortable all the time, like about fitness from like how I lose weight and still stay in great shape. And like, I'm able to do all the things and do it. Was it like crazy science? Like you have all these, different people looking at it. I'm like, dude, like when it comes to losing weight or it comes to gaining weight, like it's just discipline and consistency. It's mm-hmm. you got to yeah. eat what's good for you and you got to eat a lot of it or eat a little of it. And you got to just do it every single day. That's exactly. it. It's not, it's That's not all that it is. Yeah. We, we live in a society where everything has to be science. We decimal points. It's so much more dumb than it sounds. Yeah. It's, it's calories. It's calories, calories, protein, calories, 
yeah. water, yeah. hydration, and and working out. Like it, it doesn't take that much. If you eat good food that's good for you, and you train well, and you drink good water, good things are gonna happen. If you mm-hmm. eat McDonald's and you don't work out right, you're gonna get fat. Like yeah. it, that's exactly yeah, exactly. I think Ocho Cinco might fight you because you said that. I mean, he works out though. He said if he do, yeah, if he yeah. Don't okay. You, I mean, also- a cheeseburger, a, one cheeseburger from McDonald's is like. 500 calories which is just absurd like that's and it's like a dollar so like if someone's starving like they're super hungry they're broke um and they don't work out and they have five bucks they're gonna get five cheeseburgers which is 2500 calories and you can eat that easily in one sitting and not feel that full and eat more later like you're obviously gonna gain weight and not be healthy but for Ocho Senko, like he's just he's just strictly calories like he doesn't he's not a huge guy like he doesn't he didn't have to be huge he was just quick twitchy and all he put in his body was calories and either burned them or had a deficit or, or a surplus and that's i mean yeah at the end of the day if you're training like that you can put anything in your body if your body can respond to it like that so yeah aside from like the joke aspect of it um what was like the first or like your immediate change that you noticed on the football field from adapting like a better diet and stuff like did you notice you were faster stronger your longevity was a little better stamina i mean like what really did you notice first yeah um i would say i just felt healthy like i felt good there's there's a lot of times especially with football and training and intense training or even in the season when you're getting banged up and stuff where you just don't i don't know if you ever experienced like if you try to run and your legs just like it's kind of like an aching sensation, like where you just can't physically run or you feel like your legs are just going to like literally like pop or something like that. Sometimes I feel like that during that course of the six, eight weeks and I was healthy and everything and getting sleep and all that kind of stuff. My body every day just felt so healthy. Like I could push. And that's a part of it too, is like when you feel healthy, you're comfortable like pushing harder without fear of like hurting yourself too. So that was definitely a part of it. And like I said, my body just felt healthier and I got stronger. I got faster. Um, so, yeah. For me, uh, I like when I go, like when I'm in camp, like I don't eat out unhealthy when I'm out of camp. But when I'm in camp, like everything is to a T. Like I know every, every bite of food, I know every drip of water. Like I have to because like that's what my sport requires of me. That's, you know, that's, that's a given. Everyone else is doing it too. It's not just me. But the thing that I noticed the most, because I didn't really like follow heavy until I started fighting like recently is the body recovery aspect. Like if I'm not in camp and I go to practice and I do a hard practice, I am hurting for weeks, bro. Like I'm banged up. When I'm like in like the middle of my camp or like in the end of it, I, I recover so much faster. Like a night of sleep, I'm, I'm way better the next day versus it would take weeks normally. You know, I feel like that was something for me. Like the inflammation too. I, I'm not as inflamed, you know? Yeah. That, that's just personal. Like you said, everyone's different. You know- do you know what to attach that to? Or is it just like, you're just saying that's crazy to think that when I'm training like that, like my body isn't as sore. Uh, what do you I, I think like, like, what, what, do, what do you mean? Like, what's the question? Like, what are, what are you saying is the, is the cause of you, um, of, of that feeling of feeling super sore for three weeks and then versus one, one period of time, like you can feel great the next day. Like, what are you saying is, is, is a, is the factor in that? hydration is is probably the biggest one um mm-hmm. when i'm not in camp i di- i drink damn near a gallon every day just subconsciously mm-hmm. because my whole entire life i've done it mm-hmm. but when i'm in camp it is exactly a gallon like every mm-hmm. day like there's no miss i never i do not miss a day i don't get a gallon you know so i definitely the hydration because i go into practice dude, i'll have a seven pound practice 
and that's all water, you know, like maybe half a pound of fat, maybe mm-hmm. but the majority of it's water, but I'm refilling it up right away, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, uh, when I'm healthier, I'm stretching, I'm more flexible, you know, mm-hmm. cause I'm able to stretch more. I'm stretching every single day when I'm in camp, yep. I'm stretching almost every day now. Well, just the attention, just the attention to restoration and, and recovery. Information, I would say the most, dude, because like I'm not, like I'm not trying to say I'm a crazy partier, but I'm a 22 year old. Like, I'll go out in the bar, I'll have some alcohol, like stuff like that. But I don't do that during camp, so I'm never like the inflammation is so different. And I'm also like there's there's certain ingredients. Like I have a lot of turmeric powder, which is super super anti-inflammatory, which is, I'm a mm-hmm. huge creature on on that as well. Um, you know, so it's like it's the it's the tiny things that add up that you don't realize until you do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. That, that's my personal experience though. like you said your body might be different but that's my personal experience and the sleep factor too like i'll stay up to 2 a.m playing video games or watching whatever mm-hmm. my are watching now versus i'm in bed at 10 30 to 11 at fight camp yep. no matter what yep. Yep. Like matter. you know it just comes like the it's the little things for sure that's what it means. Yep. yeah but right, i think that's everything i i got to talk about that's like uh it's super late for you guys yes it's i guess like, it's, yeah. not, it's only 10 30 i'm tripping yeah i mean it's kind of just funny going into it because like you have a plan for what you want to say but like you don't want to abide by it yeah you just want to like flow and like go through it and like i mean especially from your side you were so like natural conversation too and guys people to open up and just talk and just free flow it's the best way to do it i uh I want to ask you guys a question about the process of, of um, doing these podcasts. Like who do, or like, who do you guys focus on? Is it, is it sports? Is it people um, that have like a specific uh, niche or like, like something that they do something like, what is it? Do you guys ever like interview or have podcasts with just random people or like people that you can't really focus on like a specific part of their identity? Like, what, what is it that you guys do exactly? I feel like the biggest thing for me personally was because um, when I watch or listen to podcasts, there was a moment where I was like, why am I watching this person? Or like, why, what keeps me entertained in a sense that makes me interested to this person? And I feel like the two main ones that came to mind were the Pat McAfee show and Joe Rogan. And I feel like I both enjoy I them Joe specifically. Rogan. I love to yeah, I both well, most misunderstood. I mean, a lot, at least from the, the, the podcast that I've seen, I'm, I don't really know his associations outside of the podcast that he has done. But when I listen to him talk and I listen to him, listen, or I see him listen to other people and like, understand that knowledge is spread out and people know more than he does. Like I appreciate him so much for what he does because he actually has like these conversations with these incredible people that know so much he brings his own opinion. It's, it's, it's really good. I don't know why people like bash him, but yeah, I, I love, I love what he does. And I feel like that's so important. It's cause like the people that do bash him, it's like, why? Like he has literally people from all walks of life, from all different experiences. Like he doesn't stick to a trend. Like maybe earlier on, he'll like talk to like fighters and stuff. Cause he was in the UFC, mm-hmm. but now we've seen his podcast has grown so much more that like he gets a voice from everyone. Like, I feel like when I'm watching Joe Rogan, like, I can learn anything, anything. like, anything about anyone. And it doesn't matter who it's coming from, because, like, I don't have certain ties or, like, strong beliefs that are going to deter me from watching any of his stuff. Like, I'm open to all sources of information. Whereas on the Pat McAfee show, there's just a certain thing about the formality and the comfortability 
of the show. It just seems so like non-professional, but yet it's still a professional organization. Mm -hmm. So just seeing those two things and how they're both so successful because of how different they are, I tried to want to make things. I try to implement them on the podcast here by like, first things first, always be open to any point of view. And secondly, try to be as comfortable as possible. Like Mm -hmm. just try to make someone feel like they can open up and actually talk about themselves and their experiences so that someone else can learn from them. Yeah. So my, so my question for both of you guys then is like, I got, like I mentioned, I had an idea of coming up with a podcast and interviewing people or having a podcast and talking to people, just people in, in the school, people that I may have known because of something that they did or just someone that I enjoy being around or just a random person. If, if I was interviewing a random person and I had nothing, had no idea, like I couldn't research them and I couldn't find out like questions to ask, right? How would you approach having a com- a podcast with them? So I'll, I'll take the floor on, on this one. Um, so this is kind of like my conversation skills and just like something. So like one real quick, just like a quick background. The reason we started this podcast was we never intended to blow up. We never intended to even post these podcasts. We intended to use it as a resume builder because we both want to go into sports mm-hmm. broadcasting. And it looks so good to show my experience and everything. So we never intended it to go in that direction. But obviously we've, we've gone to following, we've been doing pretty good and, and we're happy that it's went this direction. We just didn't think it was going to, but um, when it comes to that, so when I first did the podcast, if you go and listen to our first couple episodes, it's very like a B a like very blocky, like kind of loosely scripted. And the one thing that I really wanted to do and change to is I wanted to bring a casualness to it. Like when I told you, when I first, uh, we first talked about the podcast, I was like, it's not going to be like suit and tie, like CNN style. It's going to be more of like a barstool vibe. So mm-hmm. I started studying when you watch a guy like Joe Rogan, you watch a guy like Pat McAfee or, or part of my take anyone at the, the top tier podcast level, you think they're just talking to them. You know, you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, they're just talking, but you don't realize how hard it is to guide a conversation and, and talk to someone for three hours straight without looking at your phone, without doing stuff until you do it. So when I started doing, I was like, all right, let me see what, what Joe does. Let me watch what these guys do because I'm good at the talking part, but now I need to be a conversational expert. You know what I mean? So going back to your question, um, if you don't know anyone, like you just sat someone down right next to you, I automatically just go, I have like a home base, right? My home base is like first and last name, where you're from, where did you go to high school? Did you play sports in your high school? You know, and then through those like basic, let's say it's 10 basic questions that I have, like my comfortability base, I'll start looking for similarities. So I'll be like, all right, they sports like, yeah. we like these kinds of sports then that's branch i can branch off or they're from the southeast they're from florida they're going to know a little more about southern language and like southern traditions and culture i can branch off of that or they're from mm-hmm. new york i don't know new york i'm gonna avoid that go to that yeah. so like that's so what i guess I'm- it's just natural like anybody that you meet is having a natural conversation yeah. but the podcast allows you let's say we're doing it with a random person like if i'm if i just select somebody and say hey let me meet you on my podcast you're setting aside a time and a space to have a conversation where you know it's going to continue to be free flow and you're not worried about like let's say i meet somebody at a party and i know um the party lasts two hours i have other people that i want to talk to i know this conversation is not going to last more than five to ten minutes so i'm not going to we're not going to have a conversation that's as free flow as if i said okay we're going to have a two to three hour podcast and just talk about whatever we want to talk about and let it organically build from that so I guess when you set aside a space, it makes it a lot easier for that conversation to formulate into something that 
is is worth listening to for people it's entertaining it's fun for both parties um so yeah i, I guess i i can understand that now a little better now that you say all that there's also the understanding yeah. be like sorry real quick zach but like yeah, you're good. A party you could go up to someone and talk to them and they may not want to talk to you and they may not be one of the mood versus when we sit down on this podcast like it's a mutual understanding you want to talk to us we want to talk to you we want to we want to get what we want to explain so i feel like exactly. that's aspect of the podcast that's different than normal conversation also. You, you mm-hmm. can yeah, I love how you brought up the time frame of like two to three hours. And like for us, that's where we made our biggest mistake in the beginning is because we were so concerned with like creating something, but at the same time, not having it be a drag and like not having have to people sit through three, three or four hours or something. Once we got away from that and we're like, however long it goes, it goes like that's just shows you that like you don't really, it, it doesn't really matter to you how long it is. If you're talking about something important, then take how long you need to talk about it. Like you should never set a cap or a time frame to talk about topics. Cause like earlier in our podcast, we would have a whole script be like, all right, we're trying to get this like to an hour and 30 minutes. And then we'd be talking about something and then like have to cut ourselves off from like digging deep into stuff that we cared about just because we wanted to fit other stuff in. Like it just shouldn't work like that. But we learned that yeah. Like once we went through the process, like it wasn't something that was just going to happen. Yeah. That's how the whole, the layer system works too, is like when you meet somebody or like you're you're understanding learning about somebody is like, there's a lot of layers that you have to uncover. And I feel like it's easier to have that type of conversation with like on a podcast because you can like sort of stay specific to like a very like certain point on the whole layer system so that you can just drill into that one point, one point, one point point one point and it's easier to unlayer and uncover because you're focused on your general focus is more on a specific topic or something that they do or something that you want to focus on so yeah i, I definitely see what you're talking about yeah and then like the piggyback yeah. off of that, said, and like, i feel like oh, i'm sorry it was like no, good. we would have we would write like a script like not a script like an outline and then mm-hmm. we would look at the clock constantly and be like, like five minutes probably have to go to this go to this versus mm-hmm. now we write we still write an outline but it's more of like a glance thing or more of like a, if we get stuck at a, at a point, we'll, we'll, we'll refer to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah. we're, we went into this. We, we like, like before every podcast, we meet, whether it's me and Meech, me and whoever it is co-hosting me and Zach, we'll, we'll talk about like, all right, this is the the approach we're going to take into this podcast. Cause you know, every person is different. You have, you're, you're much easier to talk to than some other people are, you know? And like some people are really easy to talk to in person. When we get them on the podcast, they freeze up. So our approach to every podcast is different, but we obviously did our homework on you, seen your other interviews. You're very easy to talk to and you like to uh, express your opinion, which is huge. Which, that's what we want as podcasts. We want you to be engaged. So mm-hmm. when me and Zach met before, we're like, yo, here's our outline. There, there are certain things we need to hit. We need to introduce him. We need to talk about Stanford football a little bit. That's why he's here. You know, obviously we want to talk to you about Elijah Jenkins, the person, but, but we obviously heard about you because of the football. So we need exactly. to but at the same time, like Zach and I said, if Elijah wants to go on and talk about something that means a lot to him, which we kind of did with the NIL and then we did a little bit with the recruiting, let him go. Like, like we're okay. We'll, we'll adapt. Like, that's part of the role that we're given. It's part of the task we're given. You know, so we don't really set on that. Like, we used to, like, we have to hit ABC. Like, here's what we need to talk about. If we hit this, that's fine. If not, it's about Elijah. We're going to let Elijah guide it and we'll just coast along with it, you know? Yeah. 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 And I feel like another thing is, is like, we also do this to learn from people like coming onto this, like we had our outline for you, but like, we don't know, we, like we didn't know your specific experiences within these certain things. Like 
like without even realizing it, you probably taught so many people like, well, personally, I guess for this myself, you taught me a lot of things about the NIL deal, the um, mental pursuit and understanding of college football, the ins and outs of how you conducted yourself and how you grew up as a high level recruit. Like that's something I would have never been able to fathom. But now that I got someone firsthand talking about it, like I'm able to learn from that. And I feel like the more we do this, the more we will learn. And I feel like even for ourselves, we have a lot of information that we don't even realize we possess. And until we're allowed a space to actually openly conversate, we'll never be able to go back and tap into the things such as like we talked about cognitive dissonance. Like I wrote that paper on it. I would probably never talk about that again, but because you brought it up now, here we are actually learning and speaking on things that we've done in our past. So, I mean, that's really like the biggest yeah, fundamental that, piece of why I enjoy doing this. Just to show, that goes to show like the, the amount of things that we hold in our mind that we don't ever like For talk sure. about. Yeah. Um, don't ever express ourselves about that, that affect our lives without us even realizing like, there's a lot of things that we can't recall until we have a conversation like this. Like that's just how memory, that's how all that kind of stuff works. And it's, it's important for people to, to have to socialize in that because it brings up things that past traumas that they have to deal with past experiences they miss and want to reflect on and makes them feel good. Um, insights that um, they had that had considered before that they want to re-engage with and re and learn things that wouldn't have been, um, recalled unless there is this type of conversational cue that that gets us to talking about it so I think that's my favorite part about podcasts I've never been on one before but that's always been my favorite part of like listening to podcasts because it always teaches you something you learn something you remember something like it's always that's just how conversation goes and I feel like this day and age there's not enough organic natural mutual genuine conversation that goes on between people um but maybe that's always been a thing, um, but I don't, I don't know, but it, it's a lot of fun to do something like this. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to start my own kind of thing like this. And now I'm a little bit more inclined to actually doing it. Cause this is actually a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'll definitely stay in touch with you guys. Like figure out like if I need any like tips, ideas, some guidance of like how this whole thing operates. Cause it's like, this is a lot of fun. And like, I'm sure you guys get a lot out of it. I got a lot out of this too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a lot more inclined to actually maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but just like having even just a phone call or just a conversation with sitting down with somebody and just talking about like anything, anything, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's why I feel like it's so good. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a therapy, yeah. Way. That's yeah. Why like just, See, like both y'all, you're good. Y'all want to talk like it's a therapy, like this yeah. is how it goes. Yeah, like just for your mental, like just being able to speak to people, whether like you know everything about them or don't know anything about them at all. Like, there's always, I feel like, especially in today's society, we live in a time where we're trying to find differences in each other and we're like forced to hate each other because of media. But like, yet when you sit down and actually talk to someone, you'll find endless ways that you share interests in and beliefs, and you'll be able to grow on topics. Like, it's just a beautiful way to like connect not only society but as like an individual like it just creates this opportunity well and like you said like my absolute favorite thing about the podcast is is just genuine conversation like um i we live in an age now where it's like i didn't i don't want to work in a cubicle you know like a big reason why i really wanted to do sports is i love talking to people i i'm i've always been a, 
an extrovert. I've always been someone that loves talking. I love conversation. I love learning about people. Like I've always been huge on that. I don't want to sit in a desk typing on a computer all day. And I feel like we forgot how enjoyable and fun it is just to sit down without technology and just talk to someone, you know, and just to learn about each other. Because every single person's a book. Every single person's a different book. Regardless of how similar someone is, every single person's a different book. Every conversation you have with someone creates you different. Every single uh, thing that's ever happened in your life creates someone different. So like, I love reading the books and, and unpeeling the layers to everyone. You know, I love doing that. And when we get to do this, there's no BS. There's no, I'm not watching a movie while I'm on my phone, while there's a game streaming on my laptop at the same time. It's just Elijah, me and Zach, you know, and like, we don't, it's really hard nowadays to have a conversation with someone without them looking at their phone or without them doing this, without them doing that. You know what I mean? So like, it's really nice to, to remember, like, this is what it's like, you know, you can have conversation with people. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun actually. Yeah. Elijah, especially for you, I really hope you do podcasting because like your level of connections compared to ours without even realizing like you could do so many great things, especially with the platform you already have. Like just by having simple conversations like this with people, you might, they might talk about things that could spark. I wouldn't say big controversies, but big like societal movements. Like you could literally be like, the way I viewed Joe Rogan's podcast now is like, this is activism. Like he can literally create groups of people to support topics and ideas. And by you even starting like the athletes United podcast, like that would be groundbreaking. Like to me, in my opinion, like that would blow my mind. That's dope. No, I appreciate that. Bro. That means a lot. But Hey, uh, I hate to be the guy to cut it off and my girlfriend's going to kill me if I don't, if I don't get out of here. Soon, so no, good, bro. Uh, Elijah, I do want to, I really want to thank you for coming on. Like I said, uh, and not trying to fangirl, but I've been looking forward to this podcast since my dad's met your mom. He's been hyping it up. I want to give a shout out to my dad too for making this happen. Uh, shout out your mom also for uh, introducing the idea to my dad. I really hope you had a good time. We were just looking forward. Like I, like you said, we just wanted to sit down and have a genuine conversation with you, which we did. And you have me thinking about things right now that I didn't even think I'd be thinking about. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, your perspective on life is, is, is a beautiful thing. And I'm very appreciative. I got to learn that from you. And I get to change my out, out view, not only as myself as an athlete, but myself as a person. But um, I really, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on. I would love to get you on again sometime. Uh, I, I want to get you on again sometime, you know, be a regular. And then hopefully when you do go to the NFL, you don't forget about Cox and the stove, you know? <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Hey, bro, I, honestly, though, I'm going to, I got a whole, I got a little notebook I have right here. I always write ideas and goals and to-do lists and shit, but I'm going to put the whole podcast idea on there and, and I'm going to, Awesome. I'm gonna figure it out. I'll probably figure something to do with it. Yeah, it's hey, dope. Coming on, man. I'm gonna. Are you guys are you both in Florida? Yeah, we're, we're both. Yeah, both in Tampa area. So we live. We in, are in Boca right now. We go to school at FAU, but we're we're Tampanians. Okay, well, I'm sure whenever I'm in town, it'll be like break, so I'm sure y'all be there too. So yeah, next bro. time I'm there, I'll, I'll show you guys the message yeah, or whatever we can. Person too, yeah. bro, which would be awesome. Ooh, yeah, oh, yeah. In person, so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to do. Ooh. That'd be dope. Coming on, bro. Um, we'll keep you posted. Like when it's updated, so I gotta do some editing, obviously. But um, for the most, yeah, thanks. That's all I gotta send say. Me, also, send me y'all's um y'all's info, like whatever the clocks on the stove. Like, is yeah, it yeah. a YouTube? Is it Instagram? Whatever it is, just send yeah. me all the information. Everything. Yeah, we'll put it in the yeah. group chat, so it'll be straight. Sweet. Appreciate yeah. you guys, but, man. Have a good rest. Of of thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Like you've been.